Welcome to the third ever episode of the Video Store Junkies podcast, the podcast about movies and the experience of watching them. It's another Friday night in the video store, and tonight I've got an appetite for dinner and a movie. Well, I've got this can of Dinky D here, so I wonder what movie would pair perfectly with it. This is what it has come to. that you wish to take the gasoline out of the wasteland. Defend the fuel. We'll never walk away! Give me the pump, the gasoline, the whole compound. This is a land that prays for a hero. That's right. This episode, we're fueling up on gasoline and heading to the wasteland for a discussion about one of the most beloved action films of all time, The Road Warrior. A rare instance of a sequel which has gone on to define its franchise, this is one that most of the junkies know and love dearly. So let's jump right in and talk about when we first saw this film and what our relationship to it is. Renee, I know you said you have lots of thoughts on this one, so let's start with you. <laughs> I was not expecting that. You two I know. <laughs> I, always, I always try to guess who's least prepared and then call that person out. Who's got a mouthful of food? <laughs> okay well hey let's start with alan this time then thank you oh okay so um i can't even remember when the first time i saw this movie was but it was about a month ago it was whenever we tried to do this before so um, short term memory is I, awesome i know right i i think i mentioned this before but i had seen apparently one scene from this movie i guess it came on tv and i must have switched the channel because i i it's the only part of the movie I remember, but yeah. So yeah, I just saw this movie in its entirety um, about a month ago. Cool. And uh, Renee, how about you? Are you done texting? I am. I'm ready. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, um, you know, I, I have a, a very strange recollection of this series really in that I'd seen little bits and pieces, I think um, on TV growing up and I never really knew which bits and pieces belong to which movie. Um, I have a distinct recollection of a scene in the first movie, which for some reason I thought was in the second movie. Um, but having revisited it, uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And yeah, I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, Paul, how about you? I don't really recall when I first saw it. Um, I do remember when everyone started talking about it in the theaters. Like, oh, it's so great. This new movie, uh, Road Warrior. I'm like, wait, that's the sequel to Mad Max, which I hadn't seen, but I remember the commercials for. And uh, so I was like, oh, come on, it's it's like a sequel to some other movie. So I don't know when it was, but I know I saw it on VHS, rented from Errol's Rents, which was like the, the video store in the area. And uh, so it had to be sometime in the 80s that I saw it. And uh, I mean, I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was really cool. Um, you know, of course, was blown away by the especially the finale and such. And then, um, uh, so, you know, I had to watch it on and off throughout the years, but several years ago when Fury Road came out, I got the, um, you know, the box set of the movies to watch with my, my sons. And, uh, and so it was fun watching it with them again and kind of rediscovering it. So yeah, it's a, 
and it's one of those movies you watch and you go, wow, I forgot just how good this is if you hadn't seen mm-hmm. it in a while. And uh, Bill, how about you? I saw it in 1981 when it came out in the mm-hmm. theater. I was there because I either Starlog or one of those one of those movie magazines I would read was raving about it. I knew there, there was a movie called Mad Max, but I also knew I hadn't seen it. And everything I saw about this looked really cool. Went to go see it, I think opening night, and it blew me away. It was, I'd say this is one of the top five movie experiences in my life. One of the movies, you know, that had thing, movies that made you. This is one of the movies that made me. Um, yeah, this was, this was just a revelation of how cool things could be. This, the opening crawl of Star Wars, the first, uh, first five minutes of the matrix you know those those are just some of those things when you see something that you hadn't seen before i mean mad max didn't have like the imagery that was just unlike anything else but the epic quality of it um to me this would be watching this was like what i imagine people probably felt back when they watched stagecoach or some of those great old westerns and everything and just got taken away into the just awesomeness of it the epic quality of it love this movie as you can tell. Yeah, cool. Well, and uh, I'm Zachary. I think we've actually, once again, not really introduced ourselves, but that's Oh, fine. no, we totally have it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, right. We'll, we'll, we'll edit that in later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this was, I think this was, uh, I think I've said before, this was the second Mad Max movie I watched. Uh, I think the first one was Beyond Thunderdome on TV huh. when I was a kid, <laughs> and I was not allowed to watch R-rated films, so it took me a while to get around to watching the other two. I was I remember being a little put off by it at first because it's a very different film than you know Beyond Thunderdome, but yeah. obviously now I've kind of come around to liking it uh, probably the most out of uh, any of the original three. Cool. Well, I guess we can. We talked a lot. We have. Uh, if anyone didn't listen to it, uh, we had a pretty long discussion in the last episode about Mad Max, uh, just about kind of the genesis of the film, the origin of uh, Byron Kennedy and George Miller kind of coming together and writing the film and making the film. And I think that's probably a lot of the background of this film as well, because really, you know, the the mm-hmm. first film was a massive hit. It made like over $100 million worldwide. So by the time they got together to make this one, it was, I think, a pretty easy sell to the people that yeah. were financing it. So I don't really have a lot of like background other than I guess we can probably talk about that when we get into a little bit with the the filmmakers. Um, but basically, George Miller was working with one of the screenwriters, Terry Hayes at the time, who had actually written the novelization of Mad Max. And they were working on a film called Roxanne. But they said basically for, well, actually, I have a, I have a quote here I, I dug up. Uh, which pretty much explains without explaining, but they said, we both developed a very strong working relationship on Roxanne. And when we were just about to do it, the combination of several forces led us to doing Mad Max two instead. Being it was much easier to raise the finance in Australia because the recently introduced tax legislation. So we did that. So basically the, the, the film industry works around the world. Um, yeah, people will throw money at you. If, yeah. If, if they think they can make money. So I don't know, does anyone else have anything they want to talk about in terms of the background of the film until before we get into kind of like uh, the, the, the stars and the characters? How many, how many years was it before when Mad Max came out? Uh, it was three years. Mad Max was released in 79 and, and Road Warrior was released. Actually it wasn't released in America until 82, but it was released in uh, 81 in Australia. 
Oh, so, so yeah, I guess it, I saw it in 82 then. Yeah, I, probably. I saw it whenever I think, it did, yeah. I mean, when I looked it up, it said it was released at the end of the year uh, in Australia. So I guess I th- it was mm. probably 82 until it actually saw a wide release in the U.S. Okay. Okay. Um, it is. Yeah, it is. I, I anytime you go, anytime you go and look it up, it does say like 1981, like I, on IMDb, probably just because it was originally released in Australia that year. Yeah, I just remember when when it came out. Some of the reviews, some of the reviews didn't even seem aware that there was a Mad Max, that this was just a brand new thing. Oh my God, it's really cool, you know. Or, or they gave it grudging respect. You know, back then, the movie reviewers were a lot more exploitation movies horror movies the stuff we love the stuff that now is recognized was considered low quality and a trifle and everything but they gave it you know it's if you like that sort of thing it's pretty well done and uh but yeah it, it amazed me how you know oh, you know this is a sequel no no it's not now come on yeah not called, it's called mad max it's it's called road warrior not road warrior 2 <laughs> so. yeah as we mentioned at the top i think uh you know, most people around the world know this as as Mad Max 2. And I think that now it's actually, even in America, it's getting a little more like recognition or like when they mm-hmm. when they market it as a as a uh, as a Mad Max film, they put that title on it just because yeah. since Fury Road has come out, now they want to kind of capitalize on that since everyone that was a huge success. Right. So they've kind of gone right. back. And I think even some of the DVD releases now actually say just Mad Max 2 Road Warrior on it. I will say Road Warrior is a better title. I mean, they yes. could have called the first movie Road Warrior, and it was, he's not that mad. He's actually one of the less least mad people in the movie. <laughs> he gets mad so, at the end. Slightly annoyed, yeah. Max. And they, I think they, that might be one. He's a pretty yeah, angrier Max. He's pretty peeved, Max. <laughs> um, but but you know, I think that might be one reason why it didn't really succeed in the United States is that when you hear Mad Max and you see the the imagery and everything, you get the idea of, like this is Death Race two thousand. It's some crazy guy with a with a car, and he's 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 nuts. His prices are insane, you know, and, and, and all. And it's not; it's nothing like that. So, yeah. well, yeah, I, think, I think there, there were more roads in the first movie than this one. Well, that's true. Right? I, I, I think I think the, Good point. The, the original. I was reading. I was reading kind of the background of the the releasing, and I think part of it too was Warner Brothers had the rights in America, and mm. I think that they kind of botched the release. So I don't think they yeah. gave it the support that it really needed to succeed. Um, so I think I think that was part of it too. Is just it wasn't really, mm-hmm. it wasn't even really put in front of audiences in this country. But obviously everywhere else it did exceedingly well, and that was that was enough to. I mean, it's that even back in the day it was pretty rare that a film did that so well, you know, worldwide right. and and even without American box office they they managed to make a sequel. So. It's it's weird when that does happen, and you're like, "Why are they still making Highlander movies?" And you're like, "Well, everyone in the world loves Highlander except for us." Well, that's actually <laughs> I, yeah. I the, that's the, the uh, I always wonder, you know, how do they make so many of those Resident Evil movies? And you go look at the box office, and you're like, "Oh yeah, it made thirty million dollars here, but it, you know, Part Six made thirty million dollars here, but it made three hundred million dollars worldwide." So now, in fairness, some of those some of those dollars are like Turkish dollars or something. Like <laughs> they are. They're lira. But worth Canadian money, you know. Yeah, virtually worthless. That was that was a dig at the the uh, the Canadians, not any, anyone else. Yeah. So uh, send your letters um, to Zachary Edgerton, Carol. <laughs> it's actually, send it's me actually, all your Canadian money. I can do stuff with Canadian. Oh yeah, Alan collects Canadian money, so send it to him. 
like you, like <laughs> like you would ever get an angry Canadian letter, you know, about anything. I just can't imagine deer, sir. you insult their hockey. Or <laughs> leave off. They would leave off the deer and just address it, <laughs> sir. Sir. Um, so yeah, that, that actually brings up one other thing though, because I, I was trying to, and, and we actually tried to record this podcast a while ago and I asked this question, um, but I, I still can't come up with it with an answer. I don't know of another major filmmaker that had re released a sequel to their, their first film as their second film. And I, mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone else, that's kind of an interesting trivia piece. Cause yeah, like mm -hmm. I said, he was, he was working on other projects, obviously, um, and we'll kind of get into later. I mean, he he kind of wanted to quit filmmaking after the first film because he was so unhappy with the final product. And he actually, I, I guess I'll go ahead and read this too, because it's kind of integral to him making a second film because he was talking about, you know, his his experience on the first film and how, how unhappy he was with it. Um, and he said, I thought that if you prepared a film well enough, the, fil the film that's in your head, it's just a matter of executing it. And I was quite naive then. What I didn't realize is that filmmaking is tough. And it wasn't until I spoke to Philip Noyce and Peter Weir, Phil had just done Newsfront, his first feature, and Peter had done his second feature. And they said, oh, it's always tough. It's crazy. And that, as simple as that sounds, that really changed my attitude. So kind of interesting that he got perspective from other mm -hmm. filmmakers. And you know, I think there's actually a pretty interesting lesson there that even someone as talented as him, you know, he was unhappy with the first film, but he was, I guess, kind of convinced to continue to work and kind of refine his his craft. Now I've already forgotten this was did he I mean he wasn't aware that making movies was tough. I mean had he not well, made no. he he they, they made had some shorts. They had made some shorts, yeah, but yeah. they had never made they had never made a feature uh that you know they had they had made shorts uh I think him and Byron Kennedy had made some shorts but they had never had to work with a crew you know, they had never had to yeah. work with a trying to shoot a feature film on budget and on time. I think they shot the original film. I think they shot it in like six weeks. And then he spent literally like nine to 12 months editing it. So he, he got to spend all that time, like seeing all of the things that he would have done differently, um, which he kind of I, I went through and read a lot of interviews with him. And, and it seems like even back, even back in like the early 80s on through to like recent interviews, that's kind of what he always talks about. Is just the fact that he was always looking at all of the things that he didn't like about yeah. the film. Well, we could kind of relate to that because you get you get sucked into that bad movie making math. It's like it only took us like a couple days to make a fifteen minute movie, so it should really only take us about a month to make a feature. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. One year later, <laughs> but yeah, as also remember, like I mean, the fact that he was working far far outside of any real established system like i mean he mentions mm -hmm. philip noyce and peter weir and i mean so there there were filmmakers in australia obviously peter weir had made a couple of, of features um but he was so far outside of hollywood that this wasn't even amateur fil uh, independent filmmaking in america right where you might even have some people on on the set who are who are familiar with kind of hollywood filmmaking right so I think that he, like, I think we talked last time, like, I think the, the, the director of photography was, I think that was his first movie or sex, his second movie. Um, you know, the screenwriters, none of the, the other guy they had working as a screenwriter hadn't written a film before. A lot of the actors hadn't, you know, they'd maybe done one feature before. So it was a very like raw yeah. crew and cast and crew to work with and do a film that quickly. Well, they struck pay dirt. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, 
Yeah. So speaking of speaking of cast and crew, uh, if we want to get into again, we'll kind of talk more about uh, Miller and Kennedy and a lot of their thoughts on the making of this film later on. But I was thinking maybe we could start with talking about uh, some of the some of the crew or some of the cast, excuse me, um, some of the cast of this film and some of the characters that they play. Because beyond Max himself, I think there are definitely a lot of very memorable characters in this film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll kind of let people uh, nominate peop, uh, characters to talk about, but I do have one that I want to start with because I think he's my favorite character mm-hmm. other than Max in any Mad Max movie ever. He's also one of my favorite character actors ever, mm-hmm. um, kind of criminally underused. But uh, I'm talking about Bruce Spence as yeah, the gyro yeah. captain, who <laughs> oh, <yeah>. is <laughs> so amazing in this film. And I mean, he gets he gets second billing and he absolutely deserves it. So he had been he was actually a New Zealand actor. He had been in a couple of movies. In fact, speaking of Peter Weir, he had been in uh, The Cars That Ate Paris uh, oh, in yeah. 1974, which um, there's kind of an interesting connection there. Hold on. Let me see if I can find it or we can talk as I find it. But uh, but yeah, basically, uh, you know, he had, he had been in a couple of movies. Um, he would go on to be in uh, a lot of genre films. He'd been in, he would uh, be in Dark City. The Matrix Revolutions, Finding Nemo. He was in Revenge of the Sith. He was also in Return of the King. If you've seen the extended, uh, uncut version, he's hmm. the uh, the mouth of Sauron. Um, which oh, I was very cool. sad when that movie came out. What's that? I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah, no, I was very sad when that movie came out because he was cut from the theatrical version. Oh, well, now, apparently they also remade Children of the Corn, and he plays the pastor in that. Oh, really? I I did Just... not I did not realize that. Just this year, well, okay, I guess today is the first, right? So last year, but in 2020, I guess they made another Children of the Corn, and he's the pastor in that. So um, wow, be interested to see him. You know, if um, you know how that character's interesting. Done, what 30 years later, 40. He's years done. I, I, he's done way more than I than I thought. I'm just going on his IMDb now, and the man works steadily. Yeah, no, he's he's a great yeah. actor. Uh, I'm so I'm I'm dropping some some pictures in the in the uh, chat here that we can paste in the in the show notes as well, but. Um, just an interesting thing about the cars that ate Paris. If you look, uh, one of the cars is this uh, spiked beetle. Yeah, um, I thought it was kind of interesting. One. Yeah, that's that's kind of the famous one. I was kind of interested with the the parallel with some of the other vehicles. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they have all the spikes on the car or on the uh, tanker in the Road Warrior, but then in Fury Road, you get these other like stripped down looking cars with spikes all over them. And I was I've always thought that was kind of interesting. I've always wondered if if George Miller saw that or had. Yeah. any sort of inspiration from that for like production i might add design. highly impractical because as you're running <laughs> through the zombies they just get stuck on there until you can't yeah. see where you're going yeah <laughs> but yeah what, what's uh what's everyone's thoughts on on bruce spence as the gyro captain as the, uh, the, the character itself or his performance uh, i want to open it up well, because i've been talking way too long that's right um so i'm gonna jump in the uh the thing i think is neat about about his character is when you first see him you think oh he's just sort of the comic relief and he's, he is kind of a comical character, but by the end, he is actually, he's mm. crucial in the, the, the fight itself in the battle. And then he becomes, you know, spoilers, mm-hmm. he becomes the leader of the tribe. I mean, so it's really kind of neat. Cause at first you think, oh, he's just kind of this goofy little comic relief character. And then uh, just kind of evolves. So yeah. he, he really does steal the show with it. So he's got a better arc than Max you does. Think, <laughs> yeah. You, th- you <laughs> think true. he's dead or at least mm-hmm. I did at the end because you know his little thing goes down hard and, oh yeah when he uh, crashes yeah yeah and it's like okay well he's dead and then nope he popped back up i guess it was a uh, soft landing 
Yeah. That was a that was a feel good moment when he comes puttering up too, you know. Oh yeah. Because the audience loves him. He's a great character and, and he, he has every range of emotion. He's he's comical, he's somewhat of a you know, a little bit villainous at first and everything. Uh then he's conniving, cowardly, but he has a redemptive arc and then he shows courage and, and you know provide you believe at the end it's not like oh my god they made him leader jesus no no it, it makes sense i mean the guy the guy ran through everything and found love and found um a purpose and all it's like you kind of wonder what's his story with which is and not did a you guys remember how he sort of came into the film because me i you know i had never seen this so everything it rose out of the dirt in. yeah it's like he's laying in the dirt waiting for somebody to come along i guess yeah. to like I attack okay. them, you know, when they get his uh his chopper or whatever you call it. And it's like I'm like this guy, he's he was laying under the dirt, you know, waiting. Yeah, for how long? How long has he been waiting? Does he do this every day? <laughs> At the end of most days, does he just like get up and say, Oh, well, nothing today. Go best go take a shower. I mean, you know, I, I do agree. That's I've always kind of thought that was pretty dopey in movies when the Rambo character is like lying in the mud pit waiting for someone to come by. It's like, well, what if they don't? Well, I mean, that's why when I saw it, I saw from the distance. That... He saw the cloud of dust. Ah, uh, he saw yeah, the cloud. Of... Time for me to bury myself again. Yeah. Remember, he has I, the, I uh, he the eyeglass. He like, does he have that big long yeah. eyeglass. Yeah. I thought he was going to die quick because yeah, because like the way he came into being was so, you know, it's like ah, I've jumped out. I'm going to get you from the dirt. I thought he was going to kill him right there and take his thing. Sure. But... sure. Look at him. He's got legs that are like string beans. I mean. <laughs> You can't and take. The, he's then, not going to be take on Mel Gibson. Those teeth, those oh, those horrible <laughs> teeth. Yeah, yeah. I, I do love how like scuzzy they make him, both in terms of kind of his character at the beginning and his appearance. Um, yeah, he's. It's kind of funny because uh, obviously we'll talk about this next time, but he also shows up in beyond thunderdome but at that point i think he was actually somewhat of a bigger star in Australia. So mm. if you look at the the uh kind of des character design in the two films back to back he is far far cleaner and more presentable in beyond thunderdome because in this film no one i think really knew who he was and he was just kind of a character actor um Cleans so they just well. kind of yeah yeah he's got one of my favorite little little moments where he's eating the he's eating the yes. what's left in the dog food you yes. know scraping up what little the dog and max have left him and then once it's over once he's degraded himself to eating you know dog saliva filled dog food he like wipes his mouth with yeah. a handkerchief like he, okay he pulls there out you his go. A little civilization. And dabs, he dabs his mouth <laughs> yeah. very very he's daintily. a gentleman yes yeah. i love well, that. I like also... the end when max pulls the knife out of his boot and he's like <gasps> like he's so just horrified that the implication that max had lied to him about having an extra weapon how dare you you know oh crazy. he was upset that there that it turned out the gun was unloaded it's like oh yes yeah no. yes <laughs> I also love the the even before that when he uh, when Max pulls out the Dinky D can and starts eating from it and Bruce Spence just kind of sits up and then like pulls the the wooden spoon <laughs> yes. from his from his pocket like you would pull you know your your billfold from your pocket and he's just kind of looking on expectantly. It's great because well, the dog he pulls that spyglass under the pocket too. He makes you wonder yes. what <laughs> what else he has yeah. in the pocket. Yeah, of yeah, his, yeah. His, which is kind of great. It's sort of like you know. It's like Batman's utility belt. Yeah. He's a fun character, yeah. and it's obviously they fell in love with him too. And they give him, they also give him the save the cat moment, which is uh, when when he sees uh, the woman get killed. 
you know, he just reacts horribly to it and sad and everything. So, you know, we get the sense that this guy, whatever the hell his story is, I mean, he's smart enough to have built this flying device, apparently the only one left who can do that. He lives by his wits. He, you know, uses traps and everything. Not physically strong, but, you know, he's mentally tough and everything. But he still has, I guess, a memory of what civilization is like. And it just shows up in these little touches that there's there is a, a good person in there. Oh, he also has a boutonniere. I forgot about that. I was just looking at my notes. Hmm. He actually has like, if you if you watch, he actually has like a boutonniere as part of his, his, his costume, which is kind of interesting. That's cool. Me. You would know most people have wear a boutonniere during the post-apocalyptic times. At least uh, they didn't this year, as far as I know. Oh, and like <laughs> a scarf. Didn't he have a scarf? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he had a scarf. He he had, I mean, yeah, his, his outfit is great. Um, yeah. Bill, you, you actually raised an interesting question. So talking about like, you know, where did he come from or who was he before mm-hmm. things fell apart? Apparently, George Miller, you know, there's not a whole lot of backstory to any of these characters, obviously. Yeah. But apparently he did work with all of the actors to kind of come up with unofficial backstories. Like he actually challenged them to kind of come up with these stories for their own characters so that even if you don't actually get the stories on the screen, they kind of had those things in mind to kind of help, uh, I guess, give, you know, more kind of background to their, their performances. So my question is, like, as we're going through these characters, like, who do we think the gyro captain was before things fell apart. Like what, what do we think his profession was? Oh, got to be an engineer or something. I mean, no, nah, it was a crop duster. He had to be a crop duster. I don't. But now, see, I, w- I was going to say, I was just going to say, and this is maybe an obvious one, but I was just going to say like a used car salesman. <laughs> Cause he has that kind of like, he's very fast talking. He's yeah. obviously, seems kind of very dishonest i don't know he he just seems like he would have been a used car salesman in in the in like the the pre-apocalyptic times ties right into our uh our other uh oh, yeah yeah, our, yeah. <laughs> it's actually a sequel <laughs> Ooh. no i just i just thought that was kind of interesting and and i uh it's kind of hard to find information on a lot of that because i don't think a lot of it was ever like written down yeah. or really canonized but it is kind of interesting without knowing that and looking at some of the details and, you know, how the ca- characters kind of act and talk, um, just trying to guess like what their, their backstory might be. I, I think he actually might be the doctor from Dr. Mm. Who because well, he does, he's got the, the coat. The he's got the boutonniere, which ties to the what fifth doctor. He's got the coat, which has, it's basically designed like the TARDIS and that, you know, he can pull that is out true. whatever he needs. It's got multiple. Tar- so in my, in my mind, he's the, uh, he's the doctor and he's somehow basically stranded here at this point till he can get back to his own TARDIS. And, you know, am and, I, am and, I imagining, and, so. am I totally imagining that in the first film, someone like, I want to say even in the opening chase, someone drives through a phone booth. Am I totally imagining mm-hmm. that? Well, phone booth? I'm going to figure yeah, that went out through an I RV or something. Yeah, no, I felt like someone went through a phone booth before that. I was just going to say, if if I'm correct, I'm going to say that was actually the TARDIS, and that's why he's stuck. Ah, now. he's stuck yeah. there. Oh, this is good. <laughs> so, go. It would have been a fruit stand, but that's very unrealistic for Australia. So, <laughs> so it says here, he has appeared in the third film of several hugely popular film series, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, The Matrix Revolutions, Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, Star Wars Episode Three. So he's like the lucky charm for third films in in franchises 
No, what was he in, in Star Wars? What was uh, So in Star Wars, he was, and I only know this because I just recently watched it, but you would probably not recognize him when, uh, God, what's his name? Obi-Wan goes to... Tion Maiden. Yeah, when Obi-Wan oh, goes yeah. to whatever that place is where he fights General Grievous, where, that wherever General mm-hmm. Grievous is, he is one of the aliens that, like, greets him. He's got all these, like, weird, like, vertical kind of ridges down his face. Um, you yeah, might I just, re- I just looked up the picture. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't so, have to do too much to his teeth. Yeah, oh. yeah. And I, I just rewatched this recently. And I was like, man, he, he. I wish he had had a bigger role because you can kind of just tell it's him if you if you know what you're looking for. But yeah, he's. I think he's criminally underused in a lot of the films that he's in as well. Yeah. If he's not completely cut from them, I don't know. Anyone else have any any other thoughts? I mean, I could probably talk about Bruce Banks all day. Yeah, he, he really is. Podcast. I really think that's. <laughs> I really do think I agree because it really is now I'm just obsessed with the backstory because I just distinctly remember also they would show so many shots of his his legs and his feet and he was wearing very tight like yes. short pants and they were I feel like he was in like he had pink like, tights shoes. he had yeah, like, was, tights on that were yeah. torn yeah it's like he was wearing I don't want to say he was wearing women's clothing but you know back in that day it would be considered women's clothing you know pink shoes yellow pants you know boutonniere mm. all that stuff so I'm just it now I'm just like was he an actor what was he doing I'm I'm, hmm. I can't handle it. I need to find out. That's another, that's another interesting idea. Maybe he was like, uh, maybe he was like a, a stage actor and that's mm-hmm. why he's got this kind of weird ensemble. I mean, everyone has a weird ensemble in the film, but he has like a particularly eccentric ensemble. So I could imagine, mm-hmm. imagine him being like a stage actor or something who would like raided a, a wardrobe somewhere to get his. Yeah. And he's no, very I, I charismatic. Think a, I think he was a set decorator. So he's good with his hands <laughs> and can build stuff. There Always wanted to be an actor, but never quite made the yes. cut. But you know what? Now the world is his stage. Yes. And he fits in like with everyone he meets. Like he just melded right in with the community. You know, maybe oh, yeah. not only an actor. Yeah, he Max shows up in the, and they're ready to execute him. The gyro captain lands and he's a hero. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Does anyone else? I mean, uh, I I think that there are a lot of characters to talk about. Does anyone else have anyone in particular they want to kind of call out and discuss? I like Humongous. I like the I like the Lord Humongous. He, uh, you know, it, it's it's just so crazy. I mean, I it, it's just it's weird when you think about. It. He's very articulate for a large, lumpy, um, crazy guy and everything. Yes. Everyone and he's the sanest person there, which is I guess why he got to be the leader. Because if you were looking around, it's like, okay, Wes is nuts. The Toady, yeah. he's an idiot. Um, you no, know, you're going to go with the Lord Humongous and everything. I don't know what his story is. And I know one of the fan theories is that he is the guy, what, Goose or whatever, the guy from the last movie who got all horribly burned. Yes. Oh, yeah. gosh. And, and, and I guess, you know, but he survived, took stock of his situation, decided to work out, maybe did a little steroids. Who knows? I can't blame him. Takes away the pain and everything. Really bulked up. And then when the world went to hell, because I do like the theory, and I think, I, I believe I heard George Miller say this, that he believed that Humongous was like Max, a former cop. And, you know, that he's kind of like the polar opposite of Max. He's what Max, you know, could have gone if he had totally gone over to the dark side and everything. So, right. uh, yeah, he's fun. Come on, the guy's funny. Wears a mask. He's, I think, personally, though, I believe, no, I think he was a professional wrestler. In real life and in the storyline, he was a professional wrestler, and the world goes to hell. And and quite frankly, if the if society collapses and everything, and people are desperately looking for someone to you know coalesce around, if if Randy Savage 
Macho Man Randy Savage threw his hat in the ring as, you know, I'll lead you. Is like, yeah, I'm going to go with, with the Macho Man, you know, over who else? The principal? <laughs> the school board member? Yeah, I'm going with the Macho Man. And did you say some people's theory was that this was the guy that got burned in the yeah. first one? Yeah. No, they just really want that character to be in. That is true, they yeah. So, yeah, they do. So, so, uh, so you're draws. actually speaking of of professions uh, so he the humongous was played by and i'm probably not going to be able to pronounce this because oh that's going to piss him off man watch out K- K- kiel uh he, he's is a Swedish it's k j e l l uh n i l s s o n so obviously he's on plane uh, right now to come and kick your ass <laughs> probably mm-hmm. um so as you can guess by his name he was swedish uh he was a former olympic class weightlifter believe it or not Apparently he only acted in like eight films. And so I think he had, you know, he was obviously a performer. I did read <laughs> one of the, the, I think it was on, on the IMDb trivia. I, one of the things that they had on there was that uh, since 1983 has been working as a manager for an Australian software company. And I would like to just imagine all on this at this at the software company but he's still dressing as the humongous so he comes in well, they have a board meeting <laughs> you've worked for a software company can you imagine yes. if your boss came out you guys are like crunching data and doing whatever it is you do and and he's just like just stands there he's like you have grievously disappointed me oh god <laughs> that's that's oh, exactly like that's exactly what i was thinking like they go in and like okay uh well we have some uh we have some issues with this uh this new batch of code so we need to talk to the engineers and he just goes in there and they just uh yeah they just they just promise to do better next time well i, I just i just looked up his imdb thing he apparently he did a movie this year uh, yeah, but yeah. he hadn't done one since 1987. Wow. Yeah. That is yeah. quite the uh, hiatus. Yeah, I mean, that's a little guess is he, he's he's one of these actors who, um, and we'll talk about some of the other actors too, like Emil Minty. Like, they didn't really have an acting career, but this is such an iconic role in such an iconic film that they probably still get offers to this day to do like cameos and stuff just yeah. based on on this. Oh, it was the great thing about being in a horror or science fiction or fantasy film is that losers like us, I don't think I'm speaking out of school here, will will worship you for the rest of your life. If you were if you I was the stormtrooper who said uh, these aren't the droids we're looking for, I'm going to take you out to lunch. Tell me that story again. What was it you said? I mean, it's ridiculous. You can yeah. you can parlay that forever. We are fanatically loyal. And it doesn't matter that you age and no longer look anything like a stormtrooper. Um, <laughs> and you can even lie about it because, frankly, how who would know? Yeah, I was the guy in the stormtrooper suit. Well, I guess so. It looks like he could have been. He's got two arms, two legs, you know. <laughs> yeah, for years. Stormtrooper valor. <laughs> yeah, stolen valor. Oh, hey, you know. Okay, let's think. Have, let's think on that. You have I, an idea I just, for a new movie. I have an idea. I mean, what what if there was some guy who just went to conventions and just said, "Yeah, I was in Planet of the Apes. I would play an ape. Yeah, I was the. And ape. I was in all the Star Wars movies. I was a stormtrooper. And basically, he he's got his whole career on this amazing resume of things that cannot possibly be checked. Oh, see, I, th- I thought you were going to say it was a, a stolen valor in the stormtrooper in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh-oh. I was on the first Death Star. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was uh, terrible. Okay, I was how many, clear, how many conventions? How many conventions have we went to where you walk by a guy and you're like, 
who is that? And you look his look at his little easel, and it's like, oh, he was the guy in this and that. I mean, he <laughs> yeah. can write anything up there, right? I, I, I do love yeah. the idea, since all the celebrities have, like, their banners of all their role, roles behind them. I do love the idea of a guy that just has, like, a banner. It's just, like, a stormtrooper and, uh, you know, a Cylon and, a, and an <laughs> ape. And it's just none of them actually show his face at all. I love it. <laughs> Um, and speaking of not showing their face, you know, uh, Humongous doesn't show his face at all in this movie, but uh, oh I'm God. pretty sure I could not uh, double. I, I'm pretty sure most people could not uh, pretend to be him in real life because, um, yeah, he, he's 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 definitely. And I think we talked about this last time, you know, not only is he physically imposing, but he is, uh, like you said, Bill, very well spoken, like all of George Miller's villains, like. They are not just forces of destruction. Like the the thing that is actually kind of scary about them is that they are often very well spoken, and they yeah. are you like you understand why people are following them despite how insane they seem to be. I thought it was hysterical when I first looked him up, and he's got like a Prince Charles face, and I'm like, you have that body and a weird Prince Charles face. Like, what's happening? <laughs> okay, well, if you that's why he's wearing a mask. But yeah. oh, a picture of him well, now. He looks like an older Danny Bonaducci. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. I, I, I want to get wow. actually get back to talking about the character because yeah. one of the things that, that you had talked about, Zach, that you said that that the characters, you know, very, the villains are very well spoken and you can see white people follow him. One thing you notice about Humongous is he actually cares about his people. Like mm. he's he's like really comforting to Wes. And he's yes, like, come yes. down, you couldn't come to any and he's not We've just all trying to lost loved ones. Yeah. Yeah, you can you get the sense that he actually genuinely cares for people. So so maybe we're just seeing Mad Max from the wrong side. Oh. You know, maybe mm. maybe maybe Humongous is the real hero. Dun, dun, dun. But you know, but it is interesting. You can see that's why people probably follow him is because he does. Oh my god, he does. Stop. He, he does oh my really god. care for him. Uh oh, I gotta see this. Oh <laughs> god. Yes. Yes. Sorry, interrupt that. No, I did Paul, but uh, Alan just posted a picture and he's completely, completely he, right. He's Danny Bonaducci if he'd taken better care of himself. Wait, wait, what was that? Oh. Alan was completely right. Nobody yeah. ever said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, say that again. Mark this moment in your diary, Alan. <laughs> um, Here, no, it'd be worse. He could look like Mason Reese. So. Oh. That, that that is an interesting that is kind of an interesting uh note because you know very often if you saw a character you know you see Darth Vader you're introduced to Darth Vader and you know the second scene he's in right he's like choking one of his commanders right. to death and very often you see villains like this who are kind of introduced as these absolute psychopaths and people are following them because they are afraid of them because if you you know if you screw up they will probably be just as quick to kill you as they would anyone else. And that is kind of an interesting point that like, you don't, I don't think you ever see really any of his villains ever doing that. Right. Like, like, Oh, you have displeased me. So, you know, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, and this, this also, by the way, is an old pro wrestling trick. You got, you've got the, you know, you get the stereotypical ones. They're just, you know, I'm going to break you road warriors and everything, but the real scary ones, the ones that, that I think are the, are the ones that are always mentioned for their great interviews and everything are the ones who don't make those. They, they just come out and they speak very quietly. They don't mm-hmm. need to shout because they're going to destroy you in the ring. They're, they're looking forward to it. Sometimes they even have just a hint of sorrow at the horrible things that they are going to be obligated to do once they get you in the ring. Infinitely more scary than just some guy who comes out and, you know, like, I'm going and everything. Yeah, that's... um. I, I like that, you know, and then of course, when he does get mad at them, 
and you know kind of you know no one survives he does sound a little like macho man actually um yeah, you know then, then you know there's no there's no dealing with this guy it's like you've he gave you a chance he gave you an opportunity um and now it's okay well now now we're gonna have to do what it is we do now of course if they'd been stupid enough to uh to actually take him on the offer as most of them were willing to do yeah i you know i i i always i feel like George Miller is is kind of to the left in his politics, but when you watch the Road Warriors, you're like, this is why people vote Republican because these idiots were gonna just like walk out there and like, okay, you can have the oil, so uh, thanks for letting us live. Die, 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 die. They would all have been slaughtered except for the Warrior Woman and and Papa and a couple of the others. They were all like willing to just get slaughtered by these uh, this obvious just rape squad here. Um, you know, but whatever. Yeah. We'll, we'll no, that, that's also, that is kind of an interesting scene. And I think, you know, he, he does use those, those two levers of on one hand terror and on the other hand reason, right? Because he, yeah. he comes up after, after the, the people who are trying to go out and find the, the truck, you know, he comes back and he has them laid <laughs> out on their, spread yes. eagled. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. What could be either dead or or the guys who are strapped alive to the, like, to the front look of his at car. What you have made me do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is kind of interesting because that's like you know that's classic kind of like abuser uh, yeah. uh, talk right <laughs> yeah. there, right? Like that. Oh no, you made me do this. I didn't. I didn't want yeah. to, but you made me. Um, so it's kind of. I mean, I'm sure that was absolutely not his intent, but it's kind of interesting how he wrote that character so convincingly to be that sort of that sort of psychopath who kind of knows yeah. he still knows what to say to get people to do what he wants to um, without necessarily like directly threatening them. Yeah. Um, so what, what do we think the, 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 there's an interesting, you know, you mentioned bill, the obviously silly fan theory that this is the goose, but mm -hmm. um, th there's also seen theories about him being some sort of former like military officer um, obviously he has that, that gun that I, what's the, what's the, uh, the death's head insignia called like a Toten comp or something like that. Oh. He, he basically, he has like Nazi, uh, Nazi yeah. paraphernalia, right. In that, in that box that has the gun. So a lot of people, I mean, obviously the timeline doesn't, doesn't line up because this film is probably supposed right, to take place right. in like the the nineties or later. So it's not like he's a former Nazi. He's not Martin know. Borman or anything. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But he probably, but, you know, but he, he probably listen, he was probably a gun nut. Uh, you know, studied a lot of tactics and everything. And now the world's gone to hell and and he knows how to organize. He's got the charisma and everything to organize these people. Obviously things I don't think he wears that mask just for effect. I think probably he's pretty horribly scarred or mutated or something yeah. the way the veins well, bulge that. on his head you kinda, yeah yeah is this is this like ultimately what happens to um who was the guy in fury road i'm already drawing a blank who was the uh which the one in oh, fury uh, road? uh morton joe yeah. yeah yeah i mean there's something there's something in the air i guess whatever it was that caused the the war and everything there's probably some radiation in the air a little on the beach action um because Australia looks even more Australian than it normally does in these movies. Like yeah. there are places in Australia yeah. where there is water and and grass and everything, but <laughs> seem to be few and far between. So something's happened. But yeah, I don't know he's just he's a cool villain and he, he's a worthy villain. The, the gun thing is interesting because the the gun 
that gun is almost like a religious thing. Like he only uses it for special occasions. I'm not going to, he could be firing that gun all the time. He could be picking those people off anytime he wanted to, but no, it's only when I'm going to see if I can take out a truck. Yeah. So it's kind of cool the way it comes out, like the Holy hand grenade. (laughs) I was really just kind of concerned about, you know, you mentioned the radiation and I thought, you know, there's probably not a lot of sunscreen. They're not well mm-hmm. covered. And by the end of it, you know, he was ripped up. He had like, you know, his arms were all, I get the, you know, the idea of the costuming, but it was just not a very good uh, protective material. Yeah. It, it, his, his costume in particular uh, <laughs> was not very utilitarian. Yeah. <laughs> What, like what? What does it take to get to that point where you're like, "This will do"? Ah. I, I I feel like a lot of the bad guys weren't because, like, I mean, obviously we know what it's like to wear a cloth mask for like ten minutes in the store. <laughs> right but now, like these guys are wearing these like leather masks all the time. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, imagine how much like face sweat they must have to smell and wash out of those things. <laughs> oh yeah, the chafing, the chafing, <laughs> the chafing. <laughs> Well, they have a lot of metal. baby powder stored up in the back. I think. Heat up to about 150 and just burn his skin even further. <laughs> That's true. Right? I mean, he's like, oh, why does it keep? It's getting worse. Oh, but I can't take it off because I'm so ugly. See, see the, fa- the fact that the fact that we're even worrying about this is why none of us would survive in the apocalypse. Yes, <laughs> yes. that's true. Uh, yeah, and I, I see a lot of like. I mean, he looks a lot like Jason from Friday the Thirteenth to me. Oh, absolutely. It's not a hockey mm-hmm. mask, but yeah. it. It looks a lot like it. Um, Jason takes like, an had, SM club. Had 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 Friday the Thirteenth Part Three come out by this time? I can't remember. Mm, no, I, I don't. I don't think so. Because so. well, that was the the third one was where he actually puts the mask on. Right, right, yeah. Right, that's where he gets the mask. Yeah, that was that was nineteen eighty two. So yeah, yeah. So this oh, would have well. been before that. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, what what next? What's the next character we want to talk about? I have a whole list, but like I said, boy, um. Uh, Wes, what's his name? Wes, yeah, Wes, yeah, let's yeah, talk about Wes because yeah. villain. Because what a guy, and I've been in a movie with him. I was gonna yes, say, yes, no, I've heard. Movie. I was not there when, when he was there, but you know, <laughs> okay, well, then I, I'm oh, no longer. Oh, what do you mean? Don't you dare try to rain on my parade, you what, son what's of a the bitch. Movie? You, you got to name uh, it. Kill Giggles, Kill, Kill Giggles, Kill okay. Giggles by, by Jason Buterin. Um. A Labor of Love, an indie movie that Jason, one of our local filmmakers, has been working on for a long time, finally got to make it and uh, got him in the movie. And he's great. I, I really am sorry I wasn't there when he was there because he's he's quite the raconteur and, and did a good job in the movie, too. I've actually mm. managed to see the finished film and everything. So he is still he's still a working actor and he'll work in projects big and small, working steady and. Uh, doesn't and, and you know i mean in a movie like that where it's everyone's like you know folks working for peanuts and and everyone kind of chipping in to do what they can when you have that one name mm. they can walk in like a total douche rag and just you know lord over everybody and and because they they're the biggest name there that's that's not what he's like at all everyone yeah. who was there just had a great time with him and uh loved working with him that's great so well, yeah. Speaking of, uh, I'm speaking of being a working actor, uh, he does have like over 200 credits. So he's wow. been in so much stuff. Yep. Um, apparently, he he went on to be in a bunch of Power Rangers stuff, 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he was also in Inner Space, uh, one of my personal favorite space oh. truckers. And he was also in Weird Science, kind of re reprising his yes. role. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he, I would also like to call out that he's the guy in Commando who uh, gets impaled with a pipe on a boiler, oh. leading to Arnold saying, let off some steam, Bennett. So, yeah. That's probably <laughs> well, I mean, look at this. There, he has 30 projects either in post-production or pre-production. Wow. I just, feel like he's the sort of person who probably just loves acting so much. Like you said, like he'll be in projects big and small. I mean, obviously, I mean, he, he's the sort of guy who could probably, well, not not right now, but he could probably just ride the convention circuit for the rest of his yeah. life and make money off of that. But I don't know. It seems like yeah, he probably he loves acting. Reminds yeah. me of a guy I know. Um, you might have heard of him. Gary Busey. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he enjoys taking all sorts of roles because he really yeah. enjoys the experience of the role that it brings mm -hmm. to him so yeah well speaking of speaking of crazy people wes is definitely yeah <laughs> i, I love he's out there i the thing i love about wes is he is so crazy in this movie that the six foot six guy wearing bdsm gear and a hockey mask is the guy like holding him and telling him right, he's telling right. Wes to calm down he's like yeah. man, you're going too far settle down uh, I, well there's probably some backstory that you guys can fill in uh, you know of his relationship with his his friend uh i heard a little bit about it uh but i'll wait wait on that yeah he was he was just he was really something. He was a character that stood out to me when I was a kid. He mm -hmm. was one that I always remember. And it's kind of funny when, you know, as you get older, because I remember as a kid being like, oh, and now I'm like, ooh, hey. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's just, Same. it's funny. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, it, he was just so good. And yeah, like, that's really all I could say. He was just so good. <laughs> and hey, let's just, let's just address the elephant in the room. A positive portrayal of a gay character back when that was not exactly very common. Allegedly. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, apparently he is. Apparently he is, because from what I've read, what? he said that, yeah, oh. he said that they were allowed to create the backstories of their own characters. And according to him, uh, I'm not sure what his friend was, na the name um, of the character was that, you know, but that was. His character, that that character, according to him, he pictured it as as it was more of a parental, yes. um, a parental relationship where he had found him. Uh, uh huh. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying that's what he said. I mean, I think all the yeah. rest of us go. I think you're in a bit in denial because that's not what came across. Where did he find him at? At a club on Fire Island. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, uh, no. So I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the rest of us and most of a gay character who said that he did. Well, himself. I'm not sure if I call him a positive portrayal, but I mean, it was, it was a, hey, hey, it was hey, a hey. loving relationship. He's, he's a valued you know? member of his community. He's he's clearly the number two guy. He's the only one who like has the balls to argue with Humongous and tell him this this plan of just running up to these people who are behind an impenetrable wall with flamethrowers and crossbows is probably not going to work out. We got to come up with something else here. When when nobody else is willing to step up, he does an evil Knievel into the compound, takes out a couple people and manages to make an escape. He is he's you know. Look, I, I'm not saying he's a good guy. Like, I want him as my neighbor, although, frankly, in the last couple of years, I've done worse. Um, but, you know, and, and clearly has a great deal of affection for his 
air quotes friend here and and when he's killed wants vengeance uh, you know no i think he's great i mean the thing I is when know, i saw I this in the theater yeah i just thought he was very very weird wow i no. maybe look maybe i'm <laughs> way off and maybe no maybe no no Liberace, <laughs> Yeah, no, <laughs> and a real ladies' man. I was the only guy that was dressed like that, I would give it to you. But yeah, this was just, I don't know. I, did, I didn't see him as gay. When I was in the theater and, <laughs> and you know, he showed up, the, the audience was a little, oh, using, using the F word and a few other things. But by the end of the movie, they, they saw oh. him as a worthy uh, opponent and everything. And when he just sort of burst out from, you know, having hanged, hung on to the grill of the truck and everything, people were genuinely scared and everything. And uh, yeah, they cheered when he, you know, finally got his uh, ultimate mm -hmm. vengeance and everything. But he was a cool character. Everybody liked him. You know, he wasn't some he wasn't up to up to that point. If you had a, a gay villain, they were usually like the mincing uh, assassins in Diamonds Are Forever. I mean, they were more played for laughs. This guy was never played for laughs. Whatever else you can say, he was he was not a comedic character in this movie. He looked no, it was, ridiculous. It's like it was just it was just an aspect. It wasn't even like it wasn't even a major aspect of the character. The fact that like Alan, you would sit there and didn't even realize it. It, it was it, it's. Uh, I'm not sure it's I, not that I, I didn't realize it. Who, who says he's gay? Well, where, because where I think it's, it's the affection he shows for oh boy. His, the, the other person. What I mean, and the when he when his his emotions when when the guy gets the boomerang in the head. Which yeah, actually, I, why the hell is he going after know. Max? I mean, it's the freaking feral kid who killed him. He should be like hell bent to kill the feral kid. Max had nothing to do with his, his oh, partner look, getting the. the he's the gay. He's him. not a pedophile. Come on here. You know. Oh, I, oh, okay. I didn't say he was going after the kid for. I said for oh, revenge, Bill. He's, for revenge. He's, 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 he's actually going after Max. He wants Max. I think there's a whole other reading of this movie. So 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 I do I do think it's interesting. Obviously. Obvious, like I always thought, I always assumed that was the relationship between those characters until Paul, like you said, I, I went and tried to do some research. And like I said, it's like none of this is really written down or canonized. And it's very hard to know, especially when a lot of the things that people are saying are from like interviews that were decades after the actual film was made. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I remember reading that now. There is an interesting aspect of and i i don't know i don't even want to get into this too much because yes, i have do. no idea no <laughs> well no it's just it's, it, it is it is a detail i want to call out that kind of convolutes this even further yeah. but um it's never said in the film did anyone did anyone happen to read the script by any chance because i went and found a shooting no. script oh, um so no. the the guys i think it's the guys who have the like the leather face masks you know they kind of look like uh like i don't know they almost almost like they're wearing like police uniforms that have been modified yeah i, yeah. I think it's them uh they are referred to in the script as and i'm not making this up gay boy berserkers now i don't Hi. know if that means what it Hello. sounds like but um and and yeah. thankfully that yeah <laughs> thankfully that is not uh, you know obviously it's not referenced in the film at all uh I, you know i have no idea if that was you know who what they were thinking when they wrote yeah. that or I don't know. It's it's because the only yeah the, the uh, anytime we see sex, it's it's always of the heterosexual, it, albeit yeah. rapey variety here with these guys. So uh, there's one consensual sex scene. There is. There yeah, is. One. Uh, so so they're not. It's not yes. meant to be a roving band of you know apocalyptic homosexuals yes. uh, and everything, which 
would would probably make us unable to ever watch this movie again um you know but but yeah I, okay listen look who am i i'm now now i'm kind of glad that I, I didn't get to meet vernon because i probably would have said something stupid like uh hey you <laughs> yeah. really played a positive character in 1982 and he would have punched me in the mouth yeah um, think, and, think and, about the street cred you'd get for that yeah just in a yeah. movie with vernon wells he punched me yeah. Hey, did I ever tell you about the story how I got this scar? Yeah, every time, yeah. every day. <laughs> so, so along the same lines, let, let's let's talk about his butt cheeks. I mean, yeah. there's also a character wearing assless chaps for the whole movie. For real? So, Would you not? Apparently, no, no. Apparently, this yeah. was a fun story. It was very cold there, and they could tell when they needed to send people into the 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 uh, trailers to warm up by the color of his ass cheeks. <laughs> oh, wow. yeah. You could have asked him about what that. What color mint go in? Like red? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. I don't really know. Uh, yeah, you might have to watch the like movie again and keep an eye and blue. see if you can tell how cold it yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Wow. I, I kinda, this is the sort of thing. And like I said, I, I tried to like look up interviews with, with George Miller, but and like none of this stuff was really covered in anything that I found. And I have a feeling if you asked him today, he would probably uh, not yeah. give you any answers. But because um, I'm sure that he is progressed far beyond uh anything he was thinking of when he made this film um but no i think i think it is kind of interesting though because yeah like i mean you could see this as just you know this is just a character that he cares for um and by the way we had, haven't actually said it but the the character isn't even named he's just called golden youth uh is that the, what it is? Oh, yeah golden the, youth golden yeah. youth okay. yeah so so i mean i don't know it's it's it could it could be seen as as that it could be seen as a you know a different type of relationship that's not necessarily i uh, quite honestly you know listen I, so as a kid i was really into history still am and everything and i genuinely saw and this is probably going totally into the weeds here as as kind of like the achilles patrickles thing the golden ring you know th that this was this was something that was kind of big back in the Greek times that there were these these guys who were great warriors and they would bring their lovers into battle with them who didn't really do that much except maybe hold on to the horses and hand them a spear because they were useless. They were golden boys. And um, but, but the point was, you would never show cowardice in the face mm -hmm. of your beloved. You know, it was it would that would be unthinkable. So these people would fight to the death. Because otherwise, what does that guy actually do except just, you know, hang on to the back of the motorcycle and, and you know, try to kiss a boomerang? Yeah. <laughs> he, he's worthless. He's useless. He, and he doesn't look like a fighter. I'm just, you know, yeah. again, maybe he knows some kung fu. Maybe he's a whiz <laughs> with, a, with a slingshot. I don't know. But all I know is he does nothing except, like, look passive and die. Emotional yeah. support companion. Emotional support. Yeah. yeah, you know it's tough. Oh, I had to flay so many people today. Tell me about it. Oh, let me yeah. massage your butt cheeks. They yeah, look a little right behind him. He can rub his shoulders. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, yeah, he looks like he's in a band. He does. He does. I mean, most of the people in the in, yeah, I think most of the villains do, and um, not a big part of the band. Like he's a bass player. <laughs> Ah. I did I did find I did find an interesting thing where you know George Miller was talking about the design of these characters and he did mention that you know the 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 fact that they are so outrageous and the costumes and the looks of the characters are so outrageous according to him was not necessarily just a unconscious like oh we just want to make things you know that are that are they're kind of weird or science fictiony looking um, but he did he did mention Wes specifically trying to kind of take on the appearance of kind of like a traditional 
I think he mentioned like Vikings, but basically, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, he is like, this is not how he would have looked beforehand, but after mm-hmm. the fall of civilization, he's basically made himself into what he thinks of as like the most vicious or um, most frightening, you know, looking character that he possibly can. So the, so, which is kind of a, again, like kind of talking about like character backstories and all, like, obviously I don't think we would see a, you know, a mild mannered person turn into this actor, but the fact yeah. that he, he, he seems to be saying that basically this is not how he would have looked beforehand. And he's basically turned himself almost into this caricature in order to survive in this wasteland is kind of interesting. It's a good mm. strategy. And frankly, mm-hmm. the, the, the good guys should try that too, because they all look like, except for the warrior woman and the feral kid, they should all have big bees for victim painted on their chest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally like stormtrooper outfits. Like everyone's yeah. going, what? And like, what's happening right now? Yeah. yeah you can, anyone can do a mohawk. Come on. Yeah, they they are all kind of wearing white. The good guys are, which is I I've always felt was just kind of like an on the nose, like oh yeah, all the bad guys kind of wear black and all the good guys wear white. But I totally didn't mean to say stormtroopers. I meant the Rebel Alliance, where they're all like in their white. Oh, close enough. Yeah, yeah, close enough. Same, basically the same thing. Stormtroopers all also all look the same. So, which is why people Thank never you. realized that I played one. I was the guy in <laughs> in the original Star Wars. I was the guy that bumped uh, his head on the on the uh, on the door. Oh, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I bought your autograph before the other guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um anything else? Oh. Anything else you want to see? Oh, oh, you know what? Well, just, I'm loving this idea more and more. Like, yeah, I'm the guy who bumped his head. He signs everything, you know. Yeah. Keep your keep your head low, Dan Dick Split or whatever his name is, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I just have one more thing to say about about yeah. Wes and the character design. <laughs> is I mean, of he's a ve- it's a very iconic character design, and it's I think of all the all the the designs that influenced the the various and sundry uh, Mad Max Road Warrior ripoffs that uh, we'll do on a future uh, um, podcast. Yes. Uh, I think his is probably the 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 most influential and most iconic. Because if you want to do a if you want to do somebody that looks like they're in a, a wasteland, whatever movie, okay, we got the shoulder pads, got the mohawk. I mean, right yeah. away they go for Wes. They don't go they, they don't go for Toadie. You know? Yeah. 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 Oh God! It's kind of interesting because Toadie. I mean, he's a you know pathetic character, but I do love all of the all of the costumes in this movie, and his is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but it does in terms of yeah. No, I, I see what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, the all of the like yeah. Italian ripoffs were just like, oh yeah, uh, football pads, mohawk. Yeah, yeah, nobody yeah. cosplays as Toadie. Although, if you have a, a tragic <laughs> shop accident where you cut off a bunch of your fingers and you're like, oh. my cosplay days are over. No, they're not. No, they're not. Yep. Or or you could go as James you know, Doohan. So. That was one thing that I noticed in the movie. He recovered from those fingers being chopped off really quick. But what's he going to do? Cry about done. it and look for some Bactine? I mean, you know, come on. It's the apocalypse. You well, lose the finger, you move. I mean, really, he wrapped them up and his voice didn't even quiver when he talked, you know. Oh, again, because uh, I'd be the same way. Listen, I get a I get a splinter and I whine about it for a whole day and everything. But, you know, you can't do that. I, I kind of like his one shining moment is when he tries to catch the slingshot like an idiot, lops off his fingers. Everyone's um, laughing at him. He falls to the ground. He's just lost his fingers. This is a bad day. But then he looks around and everyone's he's brought mirth to his group. He's he's yeah, he's the he's the fool. He's the fool. 
but that's his role and they're mm-hmm. all laughing and he starts smiling, laughing too because he's part of the gang i don't know what his story was but i think he was like an accountant and oh, for whatever yeah. reason they let oh. him live i don't know maybe someone's got to be able to count the bullets every night and see how much they got left i mean there is some <laughs> skills in that and um and also, he, he's got a gift for Gab, so he gets to be the herald of Humongous. He's the silver surfer to his Galactus, for you comic book nerds out there. And everything, he's got a role in there. I, you know. I, I pictured him more as a, a radio DJ because of that. Oh, you know, oh that, yeah. He'd still yeah. be kind of nerdy and all this, and but, you know, the Ayatollah of rock and roll. I mean, he's got that whole pattern, like you said. That's fair enough, too, because most radio DJs look like the kind of doofs who would try to catch a boomerang. <laughs> Yeah, well, hey, since we're moving on to him, yeah, so we didn't mention it, but Max Phipps is the character or the, the actor that played him. I did actually have a lot of notes for him other than, uh, interestingly enough, he also co-starred in The Cars That Ate Paris. So, oh, oh. yeah, kind of an interesting yeah. connection. Now, obviously, a lot of the, uh, I think we mentioned it last time, but a lot of these Australian actors, you see any given Australian movie of this time frame will have like two or three actors from any of these movies just because, yeah. you know, it's kind of a small community. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love the fact that he's basically, you know, even in the post-apocalyptic wasteland, like the bad guy needs a hype man and he's it. Mm-hmm. And I, I do, I do love that. I sort of think of him as like the Dwight Schrute of Mad Max. Like he's an overzealous. <laughs> overzealous. Yes. This is the boss. You do what he says. Yeah. Oh, now, now I want to see Rain Wilson in the next Mad Max movie, basically <laughs> playing that same character. <laughs> oh man oh now i want to I see a, mad, a, a road warrior office mashup yeah <laughs> oh god <laughs> yes. oh my gosh um right, I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna post an image that you've probably seen on the internet of him. It's, uh, whatever he's wearing it looks like um it, it looks like that episode of there's a there's a i'm, I'm about to post a picture but I, he looks he looks like um when when in the office when when dwight came in his bell schnickel he's got the little he can, he can oh, play yeah. that no, I think just, I remember that. Yeah. Just give him a whip. Just give him a whip with that image yeah. I just posted. He's uh he's Belschnickel. I wonder what the, what are those the furs of? They look very lush. It doesn't look like kangaroo fur. I always assumed it was like something that he, you know, probably looted. Like it's not something that he just made. Yeah, right. It looks like something an old lady would wear to church in the seventies. Yeah, all roadkill. He Thank sewed you. all his roadkill yeah. together, and uh, well, he's rocking it. Hey, he stays warm. He's the other, which is true. He's cold. Warm. Hey, hey, you know they don't need to worry about uh, Toadie's butt cheeks turning uh, weird <laughs> colors and having to break for the day. Nobody <laughs> care about Toadie's uh, butt cheeks. Oh, oh God! Toadie just fought um, in Game of Life. <laughs> Well, if we want to move on, I have a couple other people that I want to talk about. If no one else has any any suggestions, uh, real quick. Well, uh, maybe real quick or maybe not, but because uh, he doesn't actually have any lines in this movie. But uh, Emil Minty as the feral kid, really, uh, uh, again, like there are so many iconic characters in this movie, and he is absolutely, despite having no lines whatsoever, he he kind of steals the show. Uh, he was only like eight or nine when he was in the movie. And, uh, you know, like a lot of child actors, he acted for a while, then kind of dropped out and left show business. And also, like I mentioned earlier, I think he still occasionally gets like jobs basically based on this because of this role. Um, He had a cameo in Wasteland 3, which is a video game. If you guys don't. It's a post-apocalyptic video game inspired by Mad Max. Great character. You know, 
crazy fun. Um, the scene. Okay, so so Mad Max's big save yeah. the cat scene is when he takes out that little music box and starts oh. playing it for the kid, and and the kid's just like his eyes leave, and you're thinking, what kind of horrifying childhood has he had? I mean, the people he's with are better than I guess any of the other options out there, but he's had no childhood. He's mm. he's thrilled by this toy that kids today would not even bend over to pick up. It's it it's sad and everything, and and, and yet he's what he is he's good at killing i guess nobody bothered to teach him how to read write or, or speak <laughs> although i guess he learns eventually but he's pretty good with the boomerang pretty proud of it too like yeah i got a boomerang here and know how to use it takes and out do one... they ever... no go ahead i was just saying do they ever touch on like you know he uses those tunnels do they ever really touch on what they use to make those tunnels because they almost seem like you know they're it doesn't seem like tunnels are made by adults you know Oh, see, and that's that's what I was gonna I was gonna say is he actually I, I took it as those were tunnels he made, and then the fact yeah. that they don't even they don't actually even yeah, see him. I they would almost... have made much larger tunnels if I had to crawl through them. If, if if you have if you have large tunnels, large people are gonna walk through into your uh, mm-hmm. into your compound. I was I was taking that they uh, he was the one who made those tunnels, and that the, if you notice, he like comes in and out, and they don't even notice that he's there. I mean, to him, to to the I think the people in the settlement. He's almost like like a wild dog or or a mm. wild chicken. Or he's just he's just he's just like almost like vermin. Like he he dug in just like a rat would do, and they they don't even really acknowledge that he's there, or notice that he's there. He just kind of comes in, goes out, comes in, goes out. And they're just kind of like, oh, he's like sort of like the cat, you know? Oh, okay. He's a feral cat. He's a feral kid. Yeah, feral I mean, cat. to him, I think that I think that's the thing is he's not even. And they don't see him as a child. These... They seem. If they made all these backstories for these characters, I mean, is there is he someone's son or is he like just an orphan? I guess he's a, yeah, yeah, he's a feral child. He was he was probably, his parents were probably killed during the so troubles. I, I think then... I think there's actually I believe, and again, this is something that it's like an after the fact interview thing that he's talked about as an adult. But I believe that he the the story that he basically came up with, and I think that uh, again, like very hard to verify this, but I believe I've read that. Basically, he got the role because George Miller asked the kids that were auditioning to come up with backstories, and he came up with a very good backstory, and George Miller was impressed by it. But supposedly, the the one that he had was that the there's a plane crash during the war that his parents were on, and basically, you know, they died and he survived, so he was out there on his on his own, and I guess he eventually got kind of adopted by this settlement or whatever. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the supposedly that's kind of his backstory. He was just, you know, in a plane crash, which is kind of interesting when you uh, when we get to yeah. beyond Thunderdome, because yeah, obviously that was, that was yeah. uh, an important. I, I love listen, yeah. it's a trope, but I love that trope. I love the resourceful kid trope. There's a straight line between the feral kid to Newt in Aliens. Yes. And- but it, here's the thing. I, I usually hate kids in movies just mm-hmm. because they are written like they're almost always written either as a complete brat that's always screaming or a you know really precocious annoying kid (laughs) but he i mean maybe it's the fact that he doesn't have any lines but (laughs) i do he seems to fit in so well with this world and it is it is a very interesting kind of thing to the interesting thing to me is always about post-apocalyptic stories is always how do people adapt how do people who have been brought up and you know they've they've everything about their lives is due to how civilization works and 
you know that that's always an interest. You know, how do you how do you adapt to a different world? And mm-hmm. the, it's interesting to have a kid, like you said, that he had no childhood. You know, if this was about you know a couple of years after everything went to shit, then he was you know probably five or six, and you know he 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 never grew up in a world that was civilized, and he doesn't remember the old world. And when we get to Thunderdome, that's actually one of the reasons I love that movie, certain parts of that movie so much. But yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting an interesting question. And it, again, it's like they don't even really touch on any of these things because they, you know, usually you would have, like you said, you would have other characters talking about him, or you would have characters caring for him, and you don't even really get that in this because the world is so brutal that even you know the, a kid, I guess he can t- take care of himself, but. You know, people don't really even give him a second thought. Yeah. Well, y'all better sit down. I no. loved this no. little chicken nugget. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love him so much. And I called around, and there are no feral, feral children in my community to adopt. So Aww. I'm just going to have to. Yeah. You got to set up uh, some heavy heart traps. I, did, I you, think I will because, oh, my God. If you leave out bowls of Lucky Charms and Skittles, sometimes they just yeah. show up. Yeah, I was a little, you know, a little frustrated at like the crusty wig they gave him from the set of Charlie's Angels. <laughs> that but, wasn't his um, real hair. Yeah, but oh god, <laughs> he was just such a precious little angel. And when he like jumped on the truck, I'm just gonna jump ahead to this little scene. Yeah. When he jumped on the truck, and they were like, "No," and he's just like, "Screw you guys, I'm going. I'm in this." And he's like trying to fight the guy, and he, oh, and then when. Sorry, I forget his name. Drives up alongside, and he's like, "What the hell, the kid?" And he's like, "Yeah, what do you want me to do?" Oh, he was, oh, he was the best. You know, sometimes it doesn't happen a lot, but occasionally you meet a kid where you're like, "I want one of those." That's a kid that I want one of those. Oh, he's delightful. I'm a little older, but Renee, you're welcome to, you know. I probably could. (laughs) He's younger than me. I could probably still adopt him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you want to adopt, yeah, if you want to attract an older feral kid, just put out like an iPhone or some cash. You'll, you'll <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, pre- one thing I can say is, not- <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I, I was jumping into something else. I, I was gonna say, uh, there's a scene where Max is in like it's like in a, a container or whatever. He's like in even like a, a small sh- shed or something, mm-hmm. and the feral kid lowers himself down from the roof and drops. Yeah. And it looks from the distance, it, you can't really see it's 100% him, but it doesn't look like they cut and I don't know if he drops out of frame, I can't remember, but it looks like like the kid lowered himself down and slowly, like just, like he had like amazing upper body strength. Did anyone else notice well, that? Yeah, I t- oh, you talked about when he was in the garage? Yeah, yes. in the garage, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was that actually... That, yeah. Was there a cut there, or did he drop out of like? Did they have no? A, he totally a did it. Yeah, he was totally he did him because yeah, yeah, because that's that's freaking because it's he, he. It's not like he does this heavy drop. He like lowers himself. Like, well, he was a muscular like, little dude. Do you remember yeah, yeah. when? Um, so sorry, I'm so bad with names. When the pilot, he was like, "Don't touch, don't touch the right, you know, gyrocopter." Yeah. And then he's like, "Er, he gurs at him." And then the kid like mm-hmm. bows up on him a little bit, and I. <laughs> <laughs> so good <laughs> and he's, he's like got little muscular arms yeah maybe the uh maybe the actor who played humongous was like training him on set oh he's probably weird. feeding he i bet he feeds that entire community with the rabbits and stuff that he kills with his boomerang and let's just say right? the boomerang is the greatest and yet most impractical weapon i mean if i were like <laughs> if i were given the ability to be a superhero and it's like so choose your weapon it's like oh electric boomerang is like uh are you sure about that because boomerangs in reality are terrible weapons they don't work the way they do in cartoons 
they're just completely not good. But you know what? He's Australian, and they use boomerangs, yeah. and, and he's pretty good at it. Well, even I don't know. When I, when I was a kid, Frankie Cristofoli <laughs> threw a boomerang, and it hit David Wells in the head and split his head open and no. freaked the shit out of me for wow. years when I was a kid. That whenever he pulled Did the boomerang, he come back I just went away. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, 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 no, it just it stayed stuck David in Wells his head. head and cut his head open. <laughs> oh my God. And then, and I looked up, and I was tying my shoe, and blood dripped down. And I looked up, and there's David Wells with this gash in his head. Oh, he was oh, a I words, but okay, I freaked good. out. Oh, yeah, man. He got a story to tell. Yeah. So if David Wells scar. and Frankie Christopher are listening to this podcast, for both, reason, quite frankly, yeah. How do you catch it and it doesn't cut your fingers off? He has, he has a big glove in the movie. The feral kid has a big glove that he uses yeah, to catch. He it he has like a uh, a chainmail glove. It's like wrapped I don't know. in it fur. Went through like three of that guy's fingers. I'm not. I uh, I think I Look, would just the, duck and let it land, and I'd go pick it up. The toady's <laughs> not the sharpest tool in the shed. Yeah, <laughs> you got to catch it by the you got to catch it by the non sharp side. That was his mistake. I can't tunnel. I can't throw a boomerang. <laughs> What good are you? Feral, feral kid. You is don't out. have the hair for it either. I think yeah, I know definitely. someone who's going to end up strapped to a chair to a car. <laughs> uh, yeah. The the other interesting thing that we haven't really touched on here is the fact that the entire film is actually bookended, and you don't even realize it until mm-hmm. the end. But bookended by realizing that the uh, the narrator is actually the feral the kid. Feral and kid. Yeah, that's great. Basically, basically narrating it at the the very end of his life, meaning that you know it's mm-hmm. it's he's narrating from whatever sixty odd years in the future, which is which is a very hopeful thing because you know kind of this movie kind of makes it look like humans are on the way out here, but apparently, thanks to people like Max and everyone, um, civilization gets a second second chance. Because here, yeah, it's because they haven't expanded. Because like the Great Northern Tribe, doesn't he? Yeah, like, Great Northern yeah. Tribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's actually one of the notes I had was it, it's kind of interesting that these films are all you know they they all take place in this this kind of hopeless wasteland where people are fighting and scrounging to live, but they all do have that kind of almost upbeat, hopeful ending. Uh, you know, this one has has him narrating and 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 saying that basically, yeah, these all these people survived and founded uh, founded a new tribe. Um, you know, the end of Thunderdome has the kids getting to Sydney, even though it's bombed out and destroyed, but they do manage to like kind of uh, found yeah. a new a new group there. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, even the end of Fury Road when it they they've basically deposed uh, you know Morton Joe and killed him, and and you kind of get the idea that the Furiosa is going to take over. So it's kind of interesting. They all they all have they're all very um, kind of dour for the for for large parts, but then they all kind of have that upbeat ending in a way. Which yeah, which, and in Mad Max, where his his, fa- his family gets run over, and then he uh, goes on a killing spree and blows the guy up at the end. That's yeah, yeah, it's very positive. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Feel good movie of nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is why it puzzles me that, and, and listen, I'll take whatever he gives it. The man's a visionary, but we have two, we, we supposedly have two more Mad Max movies coming out and they're yeah. both prequels and the prequel in a Mad Max movie, it, what possible good ending do we have hmm. other than knowing what? that eventually mean, there'll be another movie? Do you mean prequel to the first movie? No, there's going to be a Furiosa movie, which I am looking forward to because the cast yeah brilliant the woman that they have is furiosa it's not Charlize they're on it's the woman in the queen's gambit yeah who is so oh, it's not gonna be oh because it's gonna be when oh. she's younger yeah yeah it's when so, she's so here, here here's the thing i'll say about that though so yeah normally prequels are obviously 
very troubling from a storytelling standpoint, right? Because you've basically mm. written yourself into a corner, and and there, you know, you basically, you know, there, there's never any any tension about you know which characters are going to live and which characters are going to die. But I do think that it's kind of interesting that he's doing a prequel to uh, Fury Road. It kind of gets to a point that I was going to make about this movie. This is the only time after this film there's a tenuous connection at best between the films because this one obviously opens with footage from the first movie and Mm. you know the narrator kind of recapping what happened you know thankfully for uh american audiences who probably never saw the first movie but after that they are fairly disconnected i mean the second or the third movie you even have you know uh bruce spence coming back as a completely different character right uh you have you you don't really know what happened between those movies and uh, and and this was something that i think george miller even back in the early 80s was kind of talking about um because he even mentioned like oh yeah maybe it could be something like james bond where they don't you know they're sequels and they're part of a bigger story in a way but they're not necessarily like sequential like you know, this happened and then this happened and this happened. So I don't know. I think it's interesting. It will be interesting to see. This will be the first time that he's mm-hmm. gone back and actually made a film that is very clearly connected to one of the other ones since The Road Warrior. But I think that his approach is so unique in the sense that, you know, I, I don't think that what he does will be whatever we expect him to do i don't think that'll be what he does if that makes sense i don't know um i didn't even think this one was all that connected i mean you didn't understand it yeah that's what i'm saying though like literally the the opening scene literally has footage from the first movie right right where they sort of tell you who he is but yeah i mean and you know if you were looking for something to cut you could cut that i mean you don't really need to to know that that, I, mean, yeah. I guess it sort of gives you his state of mind, but you don't really need to know that for this to be a great movie. You don't, I mean, what happened in the first movie doesn't. Well, yeah. I, mean, I guess. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying other than his, you know, sort of his state of mind, the first movie doesn't really play into this. Well, right? yeah, I mean, we'll, I guess... we'll, we'll get to that when we talk about his character a little bit more. I think it's, and I think we kind of talked about it last time. It's kind of interesting how, how the events of the first film kind of impact this one. But before we do talk about him, uh, is there anyone else we want to talk about? There are a couple other kind of main characters we haven't touched on. I mean, I really like, I really thought the warrior woman was going to be a bigger deal than she was. Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so the warrior woman played by Virginia Hay. This was actually her first movie. She, oh. she would, I think the, uh, I think it was you, Paul, who mentioned that she, like her, probably her biggest role outside of this was she was on Farscape after this. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. She was the blue lady. But yeah, I, I remembered her being a bigger part of this film. And when I went back and rewatched it, I was kind of surprised that, you know, she, I didn't even remember. She didn't even have a name. She's just warrior woman. <laughs> I think that, I think I remembered her being a bigger part because in nineties, early two thousands, they, they started doing a lot of like merchandising for some of these mm. old films. And I remember like she was, they had like three or four characters that had action figures from the Ro- road warrior line. It was like, she was one of them. So I think I just remembered her being like a major character. Well, she, she's kind of impactful. I mean, and, and, she has that pristine white outfit that doesn't seem yes. to get dirty, <laughs> yeah. even in the midst of all the fighting. So she's got, you know, she's got the she's just very stylish, even in the midst of no, the, uh, you, the you know what it is. I mean, she's cool. Um, 
she's on the right side. She doesn't take any, you know, every, one of the, one of the few disappointments I have about this movie is that I wish that Max's team on the truck had put up a better fight that they had taken a few more of the bad guys out because actually they don't do that much. They throw a couple of firebombs and then the guy accidentally sets himself on fire. And while she's like going to help him, she gets, she gets killed by the, you know, and, and then him trying to rescue her body gets killed too. They don't really take out anyone mm-hmm. or very many. And I, I mean, that's realistic, but I'm, I'm not looking for realism. I yeah. think that's kind of the point though. Like, the, the point of her character is almost to contrast against all of the other people because she is kind of like the badass warrior, right? Yeah. And most of, I mean, all, pretty much all of the other characters other than Pap- Papagallo or Papagallo or however you pronounce his name, like most of them yeah. just seem like they were kind of average civilians before this, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And we're talking about like backstory. Like I could imagine that she was maybe in the armed forces or, you know, mm-hmm. she was like a, a cop or something. But yeah. yeah, no, I think I think I think she's, you know, she is basically the only other character that I can think of in the settlement that's really that really seems like she would be like a professional warrior. Versus so like, just does, tra- does she know she's on a suicide mission? Yeah, because uh, I mean, obviously, Max doesn't. Uh, yeah. Papa does. Yeah. Does he does he let the warrior woman and the mechanic in on the fact that basically we are a distraction? They're all going to go chasing after us. We're almost certainly going to get killed. But maybe if we put up a good, you know, get them far enough away from the other people, they'll be able to get away. I mean, is she in imagine. on that? Because if she is, then she's even she more badass been. than I thought. Yeah, I, I, I feel like she would have. I feel like she was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like she's the sort of character that he probably told her and presumably the mechanic but because I mean, she was like one of his people. So I don't, he, like, he, he doesn't seem like the sort of guy, like, he wasn't sending them out on a suicide mission and not telling them because that's the way he was. He just wasn't telling Max because he didn't know Max well enough to know whether he would actually buy into that plan. Right. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not sure Max would have bought into that plan, quite frankly, because it's, it's not the best yeah. plan. But, yeah. but it worked. It worked though. Although, mm-hmm. listen, and, and Papa, look, Papa brave man leader everything else um okay what the hell was he what was his purpose running around in a really cool looking car with no sides uh, when you're surrounded by people who are shooting at yeah. you it's it's all they had yeah it is they, 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 uh, did they steal that did they steal that from one of the other guys from the, the back that was guys? i think that was i think that was yeah. one of humongous cars, they, they couldn't take 10 minutes to weld on a piece of metal to like make it so that he couldn't be stabbed <laughs> well no they couldn't because that, the whole point was remember the the um mechanic was trying to get the they were trying to fix the truck and he's like well can you do it and what he said how long did it take he said 24 hours or something he's like you got yeah. 12 he's like 24 okay. hours yeah yeah <laughs> that was actually okay. I, I love that bit that and let's let's that jump to that because i the love the mechanic and his assistant yeah, yeah. um like, and what does that mean uh what what, do, what does that mean <laughs> and then it's like 12 is all right, <laughs> yeah. all right. <laughs> but I, I love the way the mechanic is like hauled around on like that frame yeah. Yeah, because it was just like, well, obviously he somehow got injured, and now it's like, okay, well, we'll we got to rig up something, and and I love the fact that he can just like raise and lower him, haul him around. I just I just love the look of that and the way that fits in with that character. And I was it so also shows he, the respect he, that yeah that they have from that this guy has a purpose, this guy has a skill that nobody else can replicate, and I think I like that about the films like this where these tribal wars, 
when you see the different tribes and, and, you know, the idea that everyone within the tribe has their purpose. And usually the good guys are a little more inclusive and a little, you know, treat their valued members a little bit better than the bad guys. That's why the bad guys are bad. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a cool character and, you know, kind of a sad I was just end. so mad, though, that he was like, it's like, Virginia, hey, the, the, the warrior woman is dead. Just leave her there. Do not risk your life trying to pull her dead body. Yeah, off. but they were, like, you could tell on, they were friends. Man. They were good friends. Yeah, but she wouldn't want him to die doing something stupid like that. I was just like, no. ah. Mm. But I did like his, speaking of resourcefulness, he used his own pee to put out the fire on his way. So that was pretty <laughs> Yes. yes. So, well, it's good. He did try to get the kid, you know, from the yeah, truck. So right. I, I do think there was a little bit of protectiveness of him. Like yeah. maybe they kind of mm. knew that he was going to have a little bit of a, well, I mean, unless we pop one out real quick, there ain't nobody younger than us, you know, yeah. other than him. <laughs> yep. So, you know, I, and you know, the girl was, I think, you know, holding on to him at one point when some stuff was going down. So I don't know if that was maybe just trying to save some people, but with the warrior woman, I was very frustrated when she died because she's just strolling along the top of the truck, like no defensive posture, peripheral vision <laughs> issue, you know, just right there. And you aren't thinking to yourself, maybe I should mm -hmm. cut myself up. <sighs> yeah. Well, now this, this is one, and, and maybe they explain this in the next movie, or maybe we just never get it. But how did Max get out of, like at the end, how did he get out of this predicament? Because I just, I thought, well, that truck is turned over and they, they see that it's dirt in it. I'm like, did they really just, well, it's dirt. Let's go. I just figured they would kill everybody in sight. They just saw Humongous explode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they realize, oh shit, there's nothing there. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to, there's no point. What's the point of killing him? Right. right. It's all we're, for nothing. We're not getting this and our leader's dead anyway. So we were to go do something else. So that's mm. at least the way yeah, I, I just, I just figured we they got to go, go vote for a new leader. The rest of them. It's like, there's a couple more. Let's go kill them. And then we're out of here. But no, I mean, yeah, I think, I think that's exa exactly what Paul said. Like, I think it's an interesting kind of take on the the idea that, you know, with a charismatic, strong leader, you can kind of mold this group of people into ruthless warriors. But as soon as you remove that leader from the equation, all of a sudden, everyone kind of loses their gone. will to fight. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, this is probably a death knell for this tribe because they've used yeah. up all their fuel trying to get what they thought would be the big score. And now they just got a bunch of sand and what little fuel they have left. They, they have to hope they can go find a source of water, um, which, which not good. By the them. way, can, if I could just say that a, a, a group of people who are desperate for gas spending all day driving around <laughs> this, uh, this outpost, yep. it probably not the smartest group. <laughs> but, uh, that's the, one of the few things that's always kind of bothered me is, is you know, yeah. Well, they, they also thought that they were going to, you know, get the refinery. Yeah, true. And they get in there and they're clapping each other on the back. And then it's like, ho, ho. Yeah, they, they know there's enough gas in there that the, that the people inside the refinery are willing to use the gas for flamethrowers. So they know yeah. there's plenty right. there. Mm -hmm. Which is, which is just totally messing with their heads, too. That's like, that's like you know, that, that there was a World War II movie where the, this, these guys are at a, a lagoon in the middle of the desert and the Germans are trying to take them over and they're just like pouring water over themselves and taking showers. And the Germans are in the sand, just licking their lips, watching these guys just whoops, poured some more water on the sand. Yeah. Dick move, <laughs> but effective. Yeah. Was this the Oasis of the zombies? Is that what this was? No, it was not a Jess Franco <laughs> film. God help you all. Uh. 
and remind me the deal I, again i i, I should have watched this part again but the deal that they made was was it you let us leave and we'll give you the gas or you let us leave and we'll give you the refinery or was it just yeah. walk away just, just walk, walk away, away yeah. and i spare you lives <laughs> it was just, just walk, walk away. away yeah it, it, it seems like away. it seems like a good deal. Even okay, we're gonna oh, take Alan. gas. You just take the car. It seems like a good deal. <laughs> he wouldn't even be tied to the front of the trucks, would he? <laughs> no. Oh no. <laughs> be dragged on the back, just like a pinata. Hey, it's it, it's win-win. We're gonna take our gas and go. <laughs> we'll we'll go. Okay, I like this deal. You have grievously and... misunderstood me. <laughs> we wanted to pay you for the gasoline. <laughs> This has all been oh, a God. terrible misunderstanding. Oh no! Take the gas and go, and give us the refinery. We can refine all we want. I, I don't know. I I thought that. Uh, I mean, I know that they're. Uh... You you strike a hard bargain, Alan. I bet these guys these guys be driving away, get about fifty miles. It's like okay, so we let them live and didn't take any gas. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they've got the refinery, the so they could they could make they could they could pump gas. I think I think they also didn't know necessarily how much more gas there was left to pump, so yeah. or how much oil there was left to pump. But either way, yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> it's nice to know you would have taken well, I mean, that. Because there, there was the other part I missed is okay, they blew up the refinery and they did this. It seems to me like if you were if your idea was to escape, you would have left the refinery there. But they really didn't want them to have any gas at all. I I, I mean, is that the them yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah what, what okay. well said i mean that was the point that was one of the one of the plot points that i have had problems with it's like you're trying to escape and you, I, yeah you've got this diversion because you think they're going to come after you but it just seems like if you didn't blow the refinery up maybe all of them wouldn't have come after you maybe some of them would have been in the refinery for a few hours while you you know you escaped with your gas i don't know they don't blew know. up the ones in the refinery I don't no, think he's, he's saying. Work. He's yeah. yeah I, I understand what, he, what you're I saying. No, I understand, I understand the premise, but yeah. you know, I still nah. would have done it. Yeah. I would yeah. ask yeah. who those guys do. Just yeah, yeah, you take the risk. Okay, so hey, if you I know, ever make you know how desperate they are for you're gas. You're gonna leave, and you're gonna leave me yeah. something. I'm gonna be Double very cross. cautious. Mm -hmm. If you if, know, if I'm standing outside your house in BDSM gear and a hockey mask. Oh. And and trying to get you to come out, you should, probably shouldn't do it, Alan. Again? Oh, is there well, any alcohol in my house? Unless you're into that kind of thing. No, no, no I'm picturing uh, uh, John I got Cusack. A of when like Zach that. did that last. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, God. I, you know, I like oh, the, a very opening of the movie. You know how bad things are when Max is like sopping up gas yes. on the dirt and squeezing yeah. it into a tin you're like dude are you just like riding on fumes at this point because i'm pretty sure you cannot put that into your gas tank and have yeah. your well, car run up there it's like mm, things yeah. are bad but... and which ironically that was the one scene from this movie i had seen and oh, i yeah. swear oh. i must have just been flipping channels and i saw that and then i, I there was no other part of the movie did I see. I must have. I must have been changing channels when I was. 10. Hey, can we talk about the worst scene in the movie? Yeah. Which one is okay. that? Oh, is there any question? The dog. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Sons of bitches! The, they the deserve that. Oh. That's why, Alan. That's why we blow them up. Yes. That's okay, why we point. blow these good bastards yep. up. I have a theory yeah, on the dog that, that, that doesn't oh. upset me very much. My theory is that they actually didn't plan on doing that, but they had to fire the dog because the dog was having such a good time in the movie that they he were wanted like, more money. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, he was just always having a good time. They're like, this isn't going to work. We can't get this dog to no, bite. I, okay, 
it it doesn't remind me of my childhood, but I was glad when they killed the dog. <laughs> my God! What? No, I love Gee, dogs. Alan. No, so no, yes. so more I learn about movies, you. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? So many movies stay away from things like that. It was mm -hmm. refreshing to see. Hey, they killed off the dog. Not that they actually killed the dog, but that in the yes. story they shot the dog because. To me, you know, you see a lot of these movies where somebody's breaking into a house and, you know, yeah. here comes a big dog at them and they're like, oh, well, we'll siphon him into the kitchen and close the door. No, you put a bullet right in that dog's brain and you're done with oh, the dog. Important <laughs> safety tip. Man, yeah. Alan, next thing you're going to tell me is you want to shoot a movie where you shoot a kid. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's different. I would oh, never do that, right? Uh, no, never. I'd let a, a, I'd let the. No, no. You know what? What Alan says actually makes sense. It, it is. Look. There's got to be, there's got, you got to have some skin in the game. You can't give us this apocalypse mm -hmm. that no one can survive and have kids and dogs and, you know, everybody <laughs> surviving. There's got to, there's got to be some cost. And, um, it, it definitely gives Max kind of, you know, that John Wick, you killed my dog. Now, now you must die kind of thing. It, it does, it does let it remind us of how bad the stakes are and everything. And the dog died the way Appreciate. he would have died. How else, how else, could, yeah. you know, he would protect Max. Well, and another, end. Another so. thing I wonder, and again, I haven't read anything about this, but if you think about it, the the last few scenes, if the dog was still alive, might be tough unless he, you know, buried him in the sand somewhere while he was, uh, you know, riding down the road. I mean, I guess, I guess he could have been in the cab of the truck, but how the how the dog would have survived all that? Yeah, I, I, it, you know, I don't it know. would take away something oh, from I the drama if we have, you know, all these, you know, this great chase and everything and then we keep cutting back to this dog with his head hanging out the window his tongue lolling out and the flapping exactly. in the wind just having the time of his life just happy as a clown it's like oh that's what i'm saying they Isn't had to let her go kid was doing i did want to mention so uh papa papa gallo uh michael played by michael preston you know he's he's a fine character you know he's kind of the leader uh yeah. doesn't uh, I don't know. He, you know, he he's fine. He, I think he's, I think he's an interesting kind of kind of foil to to Max in the sense that like he's the he's the one person who I think he's uh, similar to Max in that he's seen some shit, but he's he's basically decided to try to be the leader who kind of uh, gets people together to survive versus mm -hmm. Max, who's kind of decided to go out on his own. Um, and you kind of see that, you know, and, and there are scenes where he seems like he's, I don't know, kind of almost just angry at max um being kind of well i would say he's being kind of selfish but they kind of screwed him in the beginning so yeah. i don't know how selfish yeah. he was actually being um the one interesting thing i did well i did want to mention about him specifically um because we were talking about backstories uh the one thing and the one thing i actually don't love about this movie probably one of the only things is i'm not i'm not a huge fan of like stock footage and you know they they, oh. they did the the opening with stock footage which is fine but it's kind of interesting because like i said i found what was essentially the shooting script and there are actually scenes in the like scenes in the prologue that were i guess supposed to be shot and were just cut i'm assuming because uh of budgetary reasons because they don't really have any bearing on you know the plot or anything mm -hmm. but it's basically showing the downfall of society it does mention that they have footage in there from the original movie but it sounds like they they were going to shoot some original footage and one of the scenes that is mentioned specifically is you see uh, and i don't know if you guys remember that the the uh the tanker truck has the seven sisters logo on it which i guess is you know it's a re it was a reference to the 
the the seven uh, oil uh, companies at the time. But, uh, uh, you know, obviously it was just supposed to be the name of the oil company in the movie. And in the in the prologue of the script, you see that uh, you see the seven sisters uh, like headquarters and it's basically been kind of abandoned or, it's, you know, it's just been abandoned because mm-hmm. they just, you know, things have just started falling apart. And you see in like one of the offices, you see Papagallo is like putting like he's he's uh, packing some stuff up. Like he was like an executive or something at this oil company and he's just leaving, which I thought was kind of interesting because that, yeah. so that's basically his backstory was he was basically, which I guess makes sense because that's why he knows kind of where uh, this, uh, this refinery yeah. was. And that's why he's been able to kind of take over here. Mm-hmm. He's so well-spoken. I just assumed he was like a university professor or something. Um, hmm. But, you know, I'm glad they didn't show all that. And, and, you know, the stock footage didn't bother me much, especially after having seen the movie and realizing this is narrated by the kid. The kid yeah. didn't know what civilization was. Yeah. He's pretty much grown up in this wasteland. So his his memories are just sort of stock footage, cartoony, nothing, you know, black and white, whatever. It doesn't necessarily uh, have to match with anything. It does, it does give you a weird... Um, it is a weird way to open because it doesn't look very yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, and then, well, but they then, use that but then scene within where moments the we're into what's that? They use that scene where the stunt man got hurt. <laughs> really? Or he like, remember that where he like hits his head on something? Yeah. Well. <laughs> like, oh, you so mean the, the footage from the last movie? Yeah. 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 It yeah. yeah, was shot. a good shot. I mean, Come on. It's a it good was shot. a good shot. They probably paid a it. lot of money for it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You can't cut every time some stormtrooper bangs his head on the <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, yeah, he, he's a pretty he's a pretty solid performance, but I don't think he has a whole lot to do other than to kind of, you know, uh, be there to kind of like lead the narrative along. Um, and he's done have, a lot of. Yeah, he's done a lot of stuff, but the only other thing I remember him in was Metal Storm, the destruction of Jared Sin, where he plays Jared Sin. He doesn't play <laughs> is Metal that a Storm. movie? Oh, that I didn't realize action. he was. That he was Jared See? Sin. He was Jared Sin. It, yeah, I believe I it was it was one of those low budget 1983 uh, 3D um, science fiction movies that look like they take place in the far flung future of next Thursday. <laughs> I, I, oh yeah, and, and one uh, of my least favorite the... genres. I had the the privilege of seeing it in 3D at uh, the Carolina oh. Theater when they did their their uh, I think it was one of the fantasy fests and yeah oh man mm. <laughs> not a great movie yeah he could have played either a good guy or a bad guy if you look at his picture he looks like he could I mean he could play a bad guy he's got one of those faces like a um yeah I could see that like a hitman or something yeah. Well, apparently, I guess he did like a lot of TV acting, and apparently, I, I guess he retired from acting. The, the last credit yeah. he had was 2002, um, which is actually a video game called The Getaway. But um, hmm. yeah, no, I liked him. I thought he, I thought he kind of looked like. Um, uh, shoot, now I lost my train of thought. Um, I thought Mick he looked Jagger? like Mick Jagger's better-looking yes. brother. Oh, oh every God. single time I've yeah. watched this movie, I think of yeah, it, I always <laughs> think of Mick Jagger. Yeah. I didn't think of Mick Jagger, but I should have. I'm like, he reminds yes. me of somebody who isn't. Yes. That's, yeah, it was Mick Jagger. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the only other character I, I, I wanted to mention before we move on is uh, not not really a huge role at all, but uh, Archie Whiteley as the captain's girl. She's the, the woman who would go on to, I guess, found the tribe along with the gyro captain. Cute as a freaking button. 
Yes. Uh, apparently, she was only seventeen when she was in this movie. She would. Oh, she, Captain, she, you dog. Yeah. Well, she she had a lot of acting credits, but most notably uh, in a movie that I hope we can cover in the future. Uh, she also starred in Razorback. Thank you. Is... I was so hoping you were going to say Razorback. <laughs> yes. Now, another thing I did not realize, uh, apparently she died uh, very <gasps> early. I guess she had oh. she died of cancer. She only uh, oh. died at 37. So, yeah. Wow. Really, really sad. What a damn shame. Oh, yeah. I mean, she she didn't have a lot to do, but she's I don't know. She's I thought she was a pretty good actress. Like she only has a couple scenes. Like you said, she's basically just around to be cute as a button. But you know, yeah. But but she she was able. Not everyone is able to portray that that kind of sweet innocence and everything. It just I, I mean, she was very likable. You know, this is a well cast movie. She she was dressed different than the rest of them. I mean, she yes. had lo- sort of a um, Olivia Newton-John yeah. look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, none of the others were cute as buttons, so there's no point in them dressing that way. It would have looked ridiculous. I think it's also her character is important because she's the one who convinces the gyro captain to stay. Mm-hmm. That's He's right. trying to get her to leave, remember? And then she oh, convinces yeah, that's true. to stay and fight. So, I mean, and she, she I can see both their points. Well. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's right. So she, she, uh, she mans up and... Uh, pulls him along with her really she is the one that that gives him that turn he had to make the choice to either go for likely survival or uh become worthy of the girl and i guess in the end he became he became worthy good call captain yep <laughs> and i go found yep. that northern tribe <laughs> before we move on i think there's one other character we should probably touch on at least a little bit who is the uh, the titular character, uh, Mel Gibson as Mad Max or the Road Warrior. Yeah, he's in it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So, all right, I'm gonna, I'm jumping in on this one. Yeah. Um, part of the reason we might not have talked about it as much is I think, you know, the first film he has has definitely more of an arc. I think after that, I mean, there's a bit of an arc, but he's really more just sort of the, the framework of which the movie is wrapped around. Um, and we can get to this, especially by the time we get to Fury Road. He's, he's, he's just sort of like the motivator he's almost like he's almost the reason why we're watching the story but he's not the part of the story almost yeah it's it's weird but he's really not uh, i mean unfortunately i he's not the most interesting character because you've got all these other characters that are so like you know out there like bizarre that you're paying attention to them instead of the main character because i mean you know you've already seen him in a movie and you know what he can do but like you know the guy the guy with the you know the humongous and the guy with uh the uh the, you know the mohawk i don't know they're just you're sort of drawn to them more because you already know the character of max well yeah i could see that too and 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 uh like i said i, I think he's also just the are, are in into this world and like you said alan that sort of the whole world itself is so interesting one i think it was i think i read somewhere he only had 23 lines in the whole movie hmm. like he almost says hardly anything he's a very silent character which i think they they really bring on in the later films too. So, but now the yeah. one, the one scene that I really remember, I mean, of course he's in most of them. The, the most memorable scene to me is the one, well, it's the one where the dog gets shot, but it's not because the dog gets shot. It's, it's like, I'm finally out of here, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, he's not even five minutes up the street and it's like, ugh, you know, they just I try to get out and they keep pulling me back in mm-hmm. because not only, you know, he has no out. His car is destroyed. His dog is dead. He's in the middle of nowhere. What is he going to do now except go back to where he was just trying, you know, so hard to get out of? There's there's nowhere to go. He can't fix his yeah, car. He's hit, he's hit know, rock bottom. Dead. 
yeah, he's got, he's got to go back. And I, I, I just imagine like in that situation, his character's like, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I, I don't know how long it was in between the movies, but my, my, my wife is dead. And now, you know, well, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't people. really, he doesn't really go back. He's carried back by the gyro captain. He was just going to die out in the desert. Yeah. Well, right, no. right. He, he does have a surprisingly low amount of agency for the titular character. And I think it's kind yeah. of interesting. I mean, there, there are a lot of, yeah, there are a lot of things I had, a, a lot of thoughts I had on this. Um, I think that the, you know, we kind of talked about last time how, you really don't need to have seen the original film to watch this oh, one. No. Not at but all. at the same time, it's kind of good that they, so I feel like there are a lot of films that came after this. And I'm not saying that they were all influenced by this movie, but you know, the eighties in film and especially like in comics were kind of the decade of making everyone, making all of the heroes, anti-heroes, making them all dark and brooding and I, I think, you know, it would have been fine if they had just started the franchise with this movie. Yeah. But you definitely miss the fact that there is a backstory to this character. I mean, any other film, like especially if it was a film written for a Hollywood studio at the in the middle of the second act or at the end of the second act, you would have had this character open up to one of the other characters and mm -hmm. tell mm -hmm. them, you know, tell them their backstory and explain to them, you know, oh, well, yeah, I, I had a, I had a wife and, you know, you know, I had a kid and they're gone now or whatever. And you don't get any of that in this movie other than obviously like the recap at the beginning of the film. That's not even him it's telling the other characters. No, no. Well, we, we sort of get it, but it's done in a really clever way. It's when Papagallo is like, you know, what's, what's your story? What did you lose someone? And, and his, his non-reaction, like, aha, so you think you're the only one who lost someone. The fact that he doesn't respond, that he doesn't tell yes. you that it's even worse than we can think. Yes. Because saying, I lost my child, yeah, that's sad. But when it's such a wound that you can't even acknowledge it, oh, it's even worse. Um, I, you know, you, Alan, you, you, what you were saying actually kind of makes, kind of makes me think. So it's like, you know, if you had seen the first movie, he's a family man, he loves his family, devoted to his family, it's all taken away from him. It's just completely taken away from him. He's at zero and, and you know, just goes nuts. Um, in this movie, he's come to terms with that. He's he's a loner. He's a survivor. He's doing pretty well for himself. He's got a nice car, a dog, you know. He's he's making a go of it Living the dream. as an individual. And and it's working for him. So he he doesn't he doesn't want anything more than that. He just takes the gasoline and goes. And then that's all taken away from him. He loses his great car, he loses his dog. He's he's completely once again. Everything he had's been taken away from him, and and now it's like, okay, maybe go back to being part of a family or something, and and trying to become useful or, or you know, it's it's an interesting. Why does he make the choices? In one sense, he, what choice does he have? Well, I guess he could have gotten on the bus with the rest of them, and and gone off, but he takes this you know this crazy mission to to drive the truck. I I assume not. No, no. In fact, I know for sure doesn't know that there's nothing on it. He thinks he's being a hero he's being a bigger hero than he knows he is because he's going on a suicide mission but yeah well, it's, one of yeah. the for, for yeah. me the seeing the whole first movie sort of made that scene more impactful and and if i had missed the first mm. movie i feel like that is really the only thing i would have been left out on um i actually also happened to have seen for some reason i saw back to the future 2 before i saw the first one 
Hmm. And hmm. they showed a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. That I, you know, like I remember we saw it in the theater and, and people are laughing at things and they're and I'm like, what is going on? It's like, Ooh, oh, well, in the first two Michael J. Foxes? <laughs> but there were, there was none of that in this movie. Like I said, I mean, if you didn't see the first movie, I mean, it's sort of, I mean, because it, it is, it's, it's sort of like a, I mean, I, I hate to even call it a sequel. It's more like a, Mm, you know, it's kind of like James Bond wh or whatever you call it. It's like a continuing story, like a like a comic. Book. Uh, yeah. If you didn't see the first one, point. you really are not lost in the second one. I mean, yeah, you might you missed out on some aspects of his character and things, but you're you're not lost in the story. The story sort of can stand on its own. Because after the first movie, all the Road Warrior movies are basically the fugitive. He comes into town. There's a bunch of people. They have a problem. He helps settle it, and then he wanders off again. And they yeah. really could be set completely separate movies. I mean, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome could be about an entirely different character. In one sense, except for the fact that he's got a name, he's kind of like Clint Eastwood's The Man With No Name. There's no real reason to believe that that character is the same character in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and A Few Dollars More, and Fistful of Brains. We just assume because he's got a poncho and no name, and played by the same actor. But which yeah, yeah, when, and when we get to Fury Road with Max, he isn't there either. <laughs> yeah, either. So, true. Yeah, no, but I'm saying, yeah, I think that's that's actually one of the neat things about the characters. He becomes he's really more around like this this myth that the stories are built around, and he's he's mm. integral to the story. But it's almost like the story. A lot of that's going to happen any anyway, even without him. He is just he's kind of our into that story, our road into what's going on and our way to see it. Right. Yeah, he would yeah. have somehow needed to have been integral to like that, uh, that refinery or trying to destroy it or take it over or help them or something to, to be more than like you're saying, just our end to the story. Cause he's not really, I mean, he has nothing to do with that refinery. Right. I mean, he just sort of, yeah, he's yeah. out there. Well, here's, here's the interesting thing is like, if I asked you to tell me what the plot to the road warrior is, like, what would you say? Because <laughs> there's I, not I, a lot I, of plot. Yeah, no. So, so I can, I can, I can literally sum up the entire film in one line. It's just about a guy who's trying to get some gas. That's <laughs> literally well, all it's right. about. <laughs> up until the very end, everything he does is he's just trying to find gas to put in his car. And that's why, like, he and, and you know, by the time he gets to the after he goes into the outpost, uh, the refinery he no longer has any agency because now, you know, he's the, the Nathan dies, the guy who he rescued. And they're like, okay, well, you know, your deal was with him. So now all of a sudden he's basically trapped and he really has no agency. And the only way he's going to, you know, he's basically working for them, but he's still, ultimately he's still just making a deal with them to get some gas and to get out. Hmm. The other, the other interesting thing, uh, and this is, you know, Bill, you mentioned how, he loses his car he loses his dog and that's the only time he really does anything that's even remotely heroic i think you could say is when he decides to drive the tinker yeah. but there's also i mean obviously that's out of necessity and i'm probably reading into this far far too much but it's also interesting to note that when his car is destroyed that is really the last thing he had from his former life that was that's really true. the last thing that he was holding on to and so when his car is destroyed, you can almost see it as him finally being forced to kind of move on and mm -hmm. stop. You know, he's probably still mourning his, his kid and his wife, but he's no longer stuck in this fugue 
of mourning where he doesn't care about other people and you know he he doesn't care about the goings on side world because he's so insular in in everything that he does and thinks and mm-hmm. i don't know i again probably far way overthinking that but that's kind of an interesting uh thing that you know he he basically yeah. once once the car is gone his his last connection to his his life is severed and that's that's the only time that he really steps up and becomes a hero it's to me it's it, the the whole series is fascinating in the sense that to me it, it's always been and this is partly i think just the fact that the director is you know as he continues unlike most directors who go into a pretty serious artistic decline uh he is not he just keeps it going until he dies um you see in the first movie he's a heroic character in this movie he becomes a legendary character by the end of this movie he's this legend that lives on in our memories the third movie takes it like a step further by the end of that one as we'll see he becomes almost mythic you know, to these children who have, you know, taken all this information or creating almost a, a society, a culture, a religion around it, that's his place in it. And then by the time we get to Fury Road, I would argue he has slipped into religious uh, category that, that, you know, the, the allegories mm-hmm. in Fury Road to him being a Christ-like figure from, from subtle, crucified on a car to yeah. uh over you know oh, he, he actually gives his blood to uh yes. you know come on i mean wow if there was a scene where he walked on water i'd be like yeah of course he does um so you know that that's so cool to see this this one character and yet as as he ascends to this ultimate he becomes less and less human he's he's never as human as he was in the first movie ever you know it, it's been stripped away from him but but in its place you know he loses he loses parts of his humanity but he gains this other quality this quality that makes him appear to us at least in legend and everything to be more than human it's just it's interesting you can have a you can have a lot of fun if you're if you're some poor kid stuck in college taking a film studies class you could do a whole lot worse than to uh take these films and go to town on them right something really ridiculous that your professor will approve of yeah do i sound I bitter actually, yeah i think that reminds me that reminds me of, of when fury road came out that was the thing that someone that someone said is like you know a lot of times when you're watching a film you're meant to be watching something that you know even even in a fantasy film or sci-fi or whatever you're supposed to be watching this is what happened in the reality of the film you know i'm watching hmm. what's what's real versus mad max it becomes no i'm not watching what really happened with max i'm watching the legends that are being told about max yeah. makes sense mm-hmm. it's brought out at a different it's a slightly different level it's like if if we lived in a far far future where max was these are the stories someone told about max and this is the film that is the story so that's how you come yeah. like you said bill more and more legendary each each film well it's, it's like it's yeah. like a movie i'd like and a lot of people don't like 300 where people are like, this is so stupid. The, the, you know, Persians did not use giant rhinoceros and Cyclops giants. Like, yeah, it's, it's a story <laughs> being told by this guy yeah. around a campfire. Of course, everything's going to be ridiculously, you know, over the top, you know, but yeah. Okay. I was gonna say, I hate to bring up other movies, but there was a movie where like that exact same thing was done where, uh, it's it's a movie about somebody is telling about somebody's life and they're like greatly not embellishing it but like 
Big fish? Big fish? Big it. fish? Yes, yeah. yes, that's yeah. it. I don't know why. I was thinking giant something. Big fish. Yeah, yeah. Giant fish. Siamese twins. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, just, I needed I like to get that, that thought out. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think uh, if we don't have any other stuff, I mean, obviously it's a character and an actor we could yeah. talk about all day, but I think that's actually a good segue into the uh, the, the creation of the story and you know the the writing of the script and how George Miller went from the first film to the second film. He kind of came to the mythological stuff in a roundabout way because he made the movie without uh, supposedly any real knowledge of Joseph Campbell or any of that stuff. Mm. And it was only after the film was released and it was so successful and people were explained to him that mm -hmm. this is why it was so successful because it resonates with all of these different cultures for the same reason. He had a he had a quote that I'll read. Uh, he said, "There's this there's a mythology out there. Basically, Mad Max was kind of a weird Australian version of that, a kind of road warrior. And so that led us to Joseph Campbell. And once uh, Joseph Campbell opened those doors of perception to storytelling, I suddenly forgot about cinema altogether and basically became a storyteller. I've been trying to figure out those mysteries ever since. Hmm. And I think that's exactly what you just said." bill is it's basically he took the you know all, all the stuff that joseph campbell wrote about mythology and the archetypes and everything and took what he wanted to do with the original film which was just tell this story about you know a post-apocalyptic hero with a bunch of car crashes and he kind of melded them together and kind of came up with this almost a new genre unto itself mm -hmm. right and he, he even mentioned i think it was in a i think it was in a, in a contemporary interview from around the time that the road warrior came out he he did mention you know george he's basically said like you know george lucas what he's doing with you know these sci-fi fantasy film and in, in star wars is what i'm trying to do in these you know sci-fi action films with the road warrior yeah and i think you could argue that the road warrior while not a superhero film it seems far more than most movies, even superhero films or superhero-like films of the 80s, seems a lot more like the genre that we have now. The Marvel, yeah. and to a lesser extent, the DC movies, you know, that template and all. It's, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a great movie. And, you know, it's one of those timeless movies. I think The Road Warrior, as long as humans are still around to appreciate movies, is going to be appreciated. It's, it's not going to get dated. Um, because it takes place in, in something that doesn't really exist, hopefully won't, um, you know, and, and is just, just solidly done. And, and I, I love Fury Road. I mean, I think Road Warrior is my favorite of the bunch because of when I saw it and, yeah. and the effect it had on my life and everything. But I think Fury Road is just a brilliant masterpiece of, which, which could not have been made in 1981. Uh, right. The technology just wasn't there, and thank goodness the technology improved, and the creative force, the artist was still around to be able to take that one step further and make that film. So yeah, and talking, so getting into like his direction of this film, uh, that actually brings up another interesting quote that I wanted to to read. And this, I, I think, again, this was a, I believe this was from an interview that was. A, like in the 80s so it's kind of interesting to see how prophetic it was but he said uh so when the idea for mad max 2 came it was like oh my god there's an opportunity to put all the theory into practice so mm -hmm. in one way mad max 1 was a rehearsal for mad max 2 and i mm -hmm. think every film that you 
do is a kind of rehearsal for the, for the next one. So you're developing your technique. You're trying to fathom film language. You're trying to fathom the mysteries of of storytelling, and we'll never and you'll we'll never do it. But each film helps you do that. So it, it's kind of interesting. You mentioned you know there are a lot of filmmakers that were you know in the seventies and the eighties were cranking out a lot of great films, and they seem to have just become you know they they've they're still making movies and they're still fine but their creativity has just seemed to have whereas he is still driving every film that he's made he's striving to make a film that's better than the last one that he his, mm-hmm. he still learns from the last one which i think is interesting because he still seems to be doing that even you know with fury road yeah i, I was i was I just something i thought about in terms of the um the uh the prologue uh, what i like about the the prologue is that uh is, is that it's it's the the exposition in it is sparse i mean yeah they use mm-hmm. the we were talking before about the the stock footage and the footage from the original film but really like going into it they give you just enough what you need you know they don't go into details exactly about what the war was or what i mean it's just just enough to get you into that environment you don't have it's the kind of world building I like where they don't give you a lot of details and you can fill in you know, on the back backstory in your head. And so I really like the sparse nature of that. Um, so that's all I was going to. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think again, like the thing that works so well about that is it's all done like quote unquote in universe, right? Like there, yeah. it's, it's, it is being told like someone telling a, a tale or a fable and you know, before we started recording, we were ta- we were talking about another movie that I think does something very similar in the opposite way and does it very badly. Um, but you know, if you watch the original David Lynch's Dune, which literally <laughs> opens with the character staring at the camera, telling them the backstory oh, of the universe, yes. and it's so <laughs> so bad. <laughs> and, and it's like it's even if I remember correctly, even like she talks for like two minutes and then she starts fading out and then she comes back. And she's like, oh, yeah, one more thing. I also forgot all this other stuff. And it's like, God damn it. Um, yeah, it's, and, so, and, and it's gobbledygook. It's it's something it's, yes. it's stuff that you cannot you need a scorecard to keep track of. So it's like, OK, I'm going to tell you the names of 14 different races, species and uh, planets. So, so pay attention. There'll be a test. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I think I it's that, like that naturalistic. Movie. Yeah, no, no, I mean, there's still 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 perfectly good parts of that movie. Uh, I just it always stands out as as, you know, and again, like, obviously, they were they were trying to do something that was similar to the fact that, you know, Star Wars has an opening crawl. But yeah. um, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, I, I think the natural kind of element to it is what really makes it work. And it's not just like, oh, let me just let me just tell you about the last right. movie right and there's a trick to it you, you can tell too much like we don't need to know why this one gang is dressed up like an snm club and why these other people are here and why is darth vader in it why is he dressing black and breathe all the time it's like okay you can use your imagination to fill in all those gaps and you probably will uh, th- that's a smart move but i i do think an awful lot of these films and an awful lot of screenplays that I read when people say, would you like to read my screenplay? And like, I think the number one problem is way too much exposition, telling, telling things that would probably are not interesting enough really to waste time on and would be better off letting the audience kind of come up with that, you know, on their own, if they, if they choose to, I think it's, it's fine. Things went to hell. 
and um, we're in Australia where things are already pretty brutal, and they're even more so now. And go, zoom, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, and then we just well, see him. Yeah, then we see him uh, using a sponge to take gasoline off the dirt. I think that tells me everything I need to know about how bad things have gotten. We're scavenging for dirty gasoline. You know, just very simple stuff. It's a bad time, and if you have a car, good and good luck keeping it. It's great. Great opening. People talk about you know world building a lot, especially mm. in, in a film that becomes a franchise. Oh, world building. When world building isn't giving all those details. It's like you said, it's giving him just enough that you can fill in the details for yourself. Yeah. And, and I think that's actually when it, when it goes to, when you run into something like, um, uh, when you run into big, big franchises, like something like star Wars or something like that, where there's so much peripheral material, they're like, Oh, you know, they built this world. Now we're going to give you all those details in the background. To me, yeah. that actually lessens yes. the appeal of that world to me. I mean, I mean, I, I'm glad a lot of people love Star Wars, and I'm glad there's there's going to be ten new series coming out. Like, but when they start giving you every detail, to me, that lessens the the appeal of it to me because I, I like to be able to sit there and go, "Ooh, I wonder what you know." How did he get that dent in his helmet? How did the, it's like? Oh, well, he got it when Hugen Flogen hit him. Hit him. Like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, have so, you and, heard and, about and, and where is Mad Max? Like you said, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Mad Max, like I said. Yeah, it's he gives you just enough. They give you just enough, and you can and and I think Alan, you were saying this. You don't even nearly need to see that first movie. Um, you know, it's it's you 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 get just enough to set up that story, and then you go. Right, and with with this one, I mean, I guess you know maybe the people that watch the movies have sort of driven some of that because. You know, it seems like with, with Star Trek and Star Wars, it almost seems like the fan base asks those questions, you know, like, well, how did he get that red dot on his wrist? You know, yeah. it's... the fact that that they brought back Boba Fett, a character that was killed by a blind Han Solo by a random <laughs> yeah. shot in the back and, yeah. and turned him into this major character in the in the in the prequels and now in the new TV shows. Just like, yeah, I. <laughs> It's so much fan service. It it is fan service, but in 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 uh, defense of the fans, they did a much better job of writing his character than the actual creators did because they they introduced he was basically just a doll. That's all. Here, yeah, if you send in a hundred box tops, you get this special Boba Fett doll. What does he do? Damned if we know. But he's like, well, he looks. And he was cool. introduced he's in a the Christmas special, even. So, yeah. yeah, he's a oh god, please let us not speak of him. And <laughs> you know, we, they filled in all the story, and they had a really oh man, Boba Fett. He's like the master bounty hunter. He's going to be totally cool. And okay, not so much. But people were just like, damn man, I had a better story than that. This is isn't this like when you have a song that you love and you think you know the lyrics. And then later on, you make the horrible mistake of looking up the lyrics yeah. and you discover that you were completely off. But what's worse, your lyrics are better. Your lyrics are much, much better than the actual lyrics, which are kind of insipid and everything. It's very disappointing. You, you sort of wish that they would go back and redo the song with your lyrics. But it's probably not going to happen. But Boba Fett, they, they actually woke up and, and said, you know, we could have done more with this character than the stupid, you know, throw him into a sarlacc pit and uh to be to be uh digested for a thousand years i'd like to know how that works exactly so the implication <laughs> is you're alive for a thousand years how does being digested by a giant monster give you immortality well so this is actually we're getting way off topic but this is a, I will well i think this question notes. deserves answers though you know 
<laughs> well, no, that's, that's, why, that's why this hasn't been done with, with this franchise. It's because they throw things out there that it's like, like you say, oh, I need an answer to this. How does this work? Because it makes no yeah. sense. So we have to do five movies well, on it. The thing I love about these movies is, yeah, you can watch literally any of them in any order and you can still enjoy them because my favorite thing is, and by mm. favorite, I mean, least favorite is when you say, you know, Oh yeah, I watched that, uh, that new star Wars show and I didn't really like it. And then, uh, you know, we all know the one guy who'll be like, well, actually you need to go back and watch the, uh, five seasons of the clone wars. And then oh, you have to yes, watch the prequels yes. to really appreciate it. It's like, no, sorry. Fuck you, buddy. If, if, if I can't sit down and watch a movie and enjoy it as its own thing, then the writers have fundamentally failed at their job. And I think that that's what's so great about all of these movies is they they are arguably all great standalone films. And then when you watch them together, you get even more and you can enjoy them even more. I'm never telling Zach he's got to go back and watch five movies. Yeah, <laughs> please, please don't. <laughs> no, no, it, it's it's and to be clear, well, it's well, not, not even five movies. It's oh, you have to watch five it, seasons. It's, it's not. You know. It's not. It's not. Go back and watch these five movies because you'll you'll enjoy the franchise even more. It's no, you you can't enjoy this at all until you go watch all this other stuff. And it's like, God damn it, no, that's not the way storytelling yeah. works. <laughs> yeah, ask someone and how to really, get into that's, Doctor that's Who. Sort of what, that's sort of what turned me <laughs> off of uh, Star Wars and, and Star Trek. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think uh, I think I think it's interesting that yeah, George Miller has obviously like remained committed to this character after all these years, and you know when mm-hmm. when we talk about Fury Road, like he spent so long trying to make that movie, and he was obviously you know he 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 basically came up with an idea that he just wanted to make so badly that he spent almost 15 years trying to make it. But at the same time, it's, it's not a situation where it's like, you know, a George Lucas going back and trying to fill in all this stuff that, you know, presumably could have been good and could have added to the story, but ultimately almost felt like it was subtracting. And I don't feel like he's ever subtracted from anything he's only added even if it's not a kind of continuous story yeah i mean i, I think that i think the fact it's not a continuous story is mm-hmm. the strength it is you know that's that's the strength yeah it's also interesting you know he keeps working with uh w- with different screenwriters so this time and we kind of i kind of mentioned at the top that yeah terry hayes had been working with him on this other movie, Roxanne, and also the totally, totally random side thing, but uh, I did want to mention, because I forgot to mention earlier, that the the thing, I found the quote that I mentioned earlier uh, about him talking about them making Mad Max 2 instead of Roxanne uh, in a in an old issue of Starburst magazine. I don't know if anyone's heard of this. Oh, like I remember Starburst, magazine. Yeah. yeah. So the, 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 thing, the thing that I love, I found a scan of it, and it includes an interview with Sam Raimi and Rob Tapper about Evil Dead in which they misspell both of their names and they misspell Sam Raimi's name wrong in two different ways, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> That's pretty um, impressive. Anyways, sorry, I was just I was just looking back at the scan and I was like, yeah, this, this is pretty silly. Um, but yeah, so so Terry Hayes, uh, like James McCausland, who he who he brought in to write the original Mad Max, he was also a journalist. And, you know, like we talked about in the first episode, he. George Miller had this idea that journalists made really good screenwriters. So he basically sought them out to work with them. Um, Mm -hmm. He also 
uh, Brian Hennett, who also worked as a second unit director, has a, a screenwriting credit on here, although I couldn't really find a lot of information about his involvement, so I'm not sure how much he contributed. If we don't have anything else to talk about in terms of the, the direction or the story, as maybe we can move on to some of the other kind of uh, creative elements, probably the only other creator that really returned than Byron Kennedy is from the original film is Brian May, who did the music for Mad Max and returned to do the music for The Road Warrior. I love the music in this one way more than I did in Mad Max because I think now I, the epic yes. quality of the film matches the epic quality of the music. Yes. I agree. <laughs> Great, good job. But what's interesting though is actually with the score, what, what is they actually know when not to use it too. Yes, like mm-hmm. in this film, that there's they 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 leave times where they don't have it, so that when it is there, yeah, it's impactful. It's not just constant underpinning. So yeah, it's it's the judicious use of it, I think, which which actually helps. Yeah, what yeah, about well. the scene where you know near the end when he's like trying to get the the bullets, and we just hear like a heartbeat. Mm. Yeah, we're just waiting for Wes to come jumping up like a jack in a box. Mm. <laughs> I mean that yeah. that could have been an easy place to put a a rising tempo and everything kind of cliche, but instead they go in the other direction. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point, Paul. Yeah, there, there's. I don't know if it's actually part of the score or if it's part of the sound design, but one of the other beats that I love, and it's really quick, but at the beginning when he's at the uh the the tractor trailer, and there's this sound. It, almost sound i don't know it's some like weird it's it sounds like a electrical or like a uh an idling engine or something does do you guys know what i'm talking about hmm it, i mean i was looking it, at my notes and i have a port where it says uh lets the roar of the engines be the score so at ooh, certain points, yeah. the roar yeah. of the engines themselves but, are in there well, but i'm not sure if that's the spot you're talking about no yeah this this wasn't actually like an engine roaring but i i don't know you I, it's impossible for me to describe, but it always, for some reason, because it's like, it's the one moment in the film that I really think is like ominous. It's the moment when I think it's, it's, you hear the sound and then it cuts when you hear the like scream of the guy who crashed the dune buggy and you see his arm come out. Oh yeah. Yeah. If, if you know that part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, again, I don't even know if it's part of the score or if it's just like a, a sound design thing that was put in there, but I, I, for some reason I've always liked that. If we want to move on, I think uh, a big part of this film is the look because it captures the action. It captures the landscape. It captures, I don't know, there, there's so much in this film, like the cars and the landscape, which you could argue are just as much characters as you know any of the actual characters. And uh, so this movie was shot by Dean Semler, who had, I think he had done a couple of other features but he was pretty green and i think he's even said in interviews where like a lot of the uh, probably the reason that he he didn't really necessarily have a lot of preconceptions about you know how a a professional cinematographer works so he was basically kind of up to do anything which i think Mm -hmm. kind of shows in this movie he would go on to uh to shoot a bunch of stuff he he would shoot razorback uh he also shot beyond thunderdome Young Guns. And then in 91, I believe, he actually won the Academy Award for his work on Dances with ah. Wolves. Also worked on City, Slicker, City Slickers and my favorite, Super Mario oh. Brothers, Last Action, Last Action Hero, Apocalypto, mm. 
And wow. I think this is actually the most interesting credit he has, in my opinion, because he also shot a film that was literally written as a ripoff of The Road Warrior. Uh, he shot Waterworld. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Yeah. But yeah, do you guys have any any thoughts about the kind of visuals in this movie or anything that you want to talk about there? Well, now, is the, um, what what do they call it? The little, the chopper that... The gyro? Uh, this, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, the gyro. It, is that, uh, I mean... There are shots where it actually looks real. I don't know what they did with it. I mean, is that an, it was because I assume most of these things were functioning vehicles, but yeah, that one just seems like it was a little over the top. Although if you look at it, it's like, well, the concept would work. It's a it's basically a little helicopter. My understanding, it was a real gyrocopter, but it could only really carry one person, at least from what I've read. They had to when it looked like there was more than one, it was like a dummy was at least what I had read. But what were you saying, Zach? Oh, no, no. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, those, those things are real. I've actually I, I've seen uh, I, I've seen them flying or I, uh, at once I saw one flying and I had to do a double take. But yeah, so I, I would imagine it actually worked now. I think that the scenes like the, uh, there's that great shot of when he after the uh, his car wrecks and after the gyro captain rescues him, there's that great shot where he almost looks like he's floating above the ground. Um, I think that was done in like a basically just a helicopter. But yeah, I, I think like you said, like I think all of the vehicles and everything in this movie were, you know, they were functional. Right. Well, you know, I mean, like nowadays, you know, if you see a if you saw a gyrocopter flying in a scene, you would be like, ah, well, you know, there may be something on the side and they've just sort of, you know, CGI'd it out. But, you know, back oh, when yeah. this film was made, it was a lot harder to do that. And it's like, wow, it looks like it's flying to me, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's so much about this film that even I think even stuff that they wouldn't have necessarily done like for real in like a Hollywood movie, they probably did for real in this movie just because, you know, it they didn't have a huge budget. So they basically had to, you know, all the vehicles had to be functional and they had to shoot as much as they could uh, without any special effects. Yeah. That's one of the things I really liked about it, especially mm -hmm. in the, you know, the scene at the end, the car whole chase scene, it was, it was very raw and, um, and, you know, and at this point, I'm worried about my son. So I was very, you know, I was worried that people were going to get hurt. Um, <laughs> but it was just it was very real. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just there was it was, you know, you, there really are moments where you're just like, OK, this is not a Hollywood productions. You know, somebody might actually hurt themselves jumping from vehicle to vehicle here. Yeah, I, I was reading. Uh, there was another interview I was reading with George Miller where, you know, he was talking about part of the reason that the stunts were so crazy. And part of the reason that people did get injured was it wasn't because he was pushing people to do things that they shouldn't. It was the fact that the stunt team was constantly pushing themselves and trying to do like the craziest things they could. So I think a, a lot of it was honestly just like this stunt team of like, you know, young energetic people who had probably, you know, the, the first film had a reputation for a lot of these awesome stunts. So they were obviously trying to kind of outdo themselves in this one by going kind of to the next level. Yeah. Oh yeah. Let's, let's, let's speak to that. There, there's the, the horrible accident that ends up in the film as like one of the most spectacular stunts. When the guy the he's on the motorcycle, he hits the thing, goes flying. and does an amazing somersault through the air. And it's like, wow, how did they do it? It's because, because he hit the thing. It wasn't supposed to and went flying through the air. Yeah, was horribly as injured. one does. Yeah. yeah. And was horribly injured too, apparently. So, or at least badly injured. But uh, it looks yeah. spectacular. But I remember the first time seeing that going, 
how they do that? Did they have him like on a wire rig and they, they were spinning him and you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. no, no, he, he got hurt. <laughs> There's nothing more real than reality. I mean, you know, this is, and of course, and of course, Fury Road expertly combines CGI with reality. There's an awful yeah. lot that's real, and there's some stuff that that is augmented, which is really the best way to do it. But it's 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 just amazing how often this lesson has to be learned. I mean, everyone realizes if the Mandalorian, if Baby Yoda were a CGI figure, that we would not be thinking of it and speaking of it, and you know, just crazy about it the way it is. There is a thing about reality. I go back. I go back to pro wrestling again. There's there was a guy, Stan Hansen, Stan Lariat Hansen, um, considered to have one of the best working punches in the game. He could make a punch look like it it really hurt. And uh, Mick Foley was writing about the first time he wrestled him, and uh, discovered the secret of how he was able to make his punches look so realistic. He just leaned back and hit you as hard as he could. He was legally <laughs> blind when he took his glasses off. He couldn't see really much more than a blur, so he just punched at the blur and and connected. So there you go. And there, there's the secret to how do you make a punch look good? Punch someone. <laughs> I, I, I should write a filmmaking book. Yeah. I mean, filmmaking I'll, I'll, yeah. Uh, no, the best, the best advice, the best filmmaking advice that has ever been given was uh, given to the actress, Sharon Kelly, um, who made a bunch of like soft core movies and then went hardcore as Colleen mm -hmm. Brennan. More information anybody needs to know. But on her first movie, on her first movie, the director came up to her and and you know she's ready for him to tell her about the character or something. He said to her, um, "That's the camera, and that's the microphone. Don't look at the camera. Boom, let's go." <laughs> and and really, that 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 piece, that worldly piece of advice right there will get you through most shoots. Um, now, I love the effects in this. They, I mean, they're not really effects; they're reality. That guy really went spinning through the air and hurt himself. The editing is is masterful. Um, you know, it's just it. And and I, I looking at it now, I realize they're probably not going as fast as we thought. There are a few times when they speed up the camera. Yeah. <laughs> and and if that's okay because you know what you know what I've, I've noticed when you watch a racing car, when you watch race race tracks and everything, and and you see like this terrible crash. And all you're like, oh, I hope they're okay, but they're but it doesn't look like they're going as fast as they are. I watched the one that killed was it Richard Petty, and he's like he hit the hit the wall at 120 miles an hour. It's like wow, it doesn't look like he hit who's going that fast. I mean, it just since everything's going fast, you get the illusion that they're not going that fast at all. So I don't care that they're probably only going 30 miles an hour and everything. It looks good. It looks great. I mean, the editing makes it just so exciting. Such, such a how long it's, is that? It's like take? when you watch a basketball game and you say, "Wow, that guy's short and he's six four. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In the well, land of the blind man is king. How, how long does that chase go on? How has anyone timed exactly how long oh, the man. final sequence is? Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's. I mean, it must be at least what twenty minutes. Got it. It's it's a good length because it doesn't get boring. Because you know you yeah. see somewhere it go on for too long, but yeah, they really didn't make it boring. I, I think. Yeah, I, mean, I think. I'm thinking of like the too fast, too furious movies and everything. I mean, they're entertaining, but I can't tell you they all blend together as one long movie, and I and nothing really stands out as opposed to I know individual shots from Road Warrior. I can remember, you know, because they 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 just stand out and they're real. It's just there's something about reality, I guess. Yeah, I think I think one thing that really makes the all of the action scenes feel like they they never get 
they never get boring or they never get tedious is that these movies, the action scenes actually do have stakes. Like we were talking earlier about, you know, the, the fact that the warrior woman dies, the mechanic dies. And I think that this is something that you often see in, you know, in your, your average Hollywood film where, you know, the characters are whatever they're, they're in the, the chase scene or they're hanging off the cliff in, in the bus that's about to go over or whatever. But there's, if you know that no one's going to die or get hurt, there are no stakes and that makes it boring. And in these movies, you're always like wondering like, okay, some of these characters are going to die. If not, you know, all of them, you know, who's going to die, who's going to live, who's going to make it out. Uh, it, uh, that's something that you don't get from a lot of movies. And I think that, you know, even, even though we've seen, we probably, most of us have seen this film, you know, a dozen times, we still feel those stakes. And so we still feel like, you know, there's, there's tension there. Oh yeah. The, the scene, especially like for me, it's the, the scene where uh, Max has the feral kid crawl out onto the hood. We were yeah. talking about this earlier, right? About it, I, even though I've seen it, you know, tons of times and you know, what's going to happen, you know how it is. It is, it is nerve wracking. Like, Holy crap. This little yeah. kid crawling all the way out. Haven't, I mean, she's like, the tension and like you said there's the stakes even if you know the kid's going to be okay the it's yeah. just it's still there and it really really hits you yeah and the other thing you know you were talking about the the kind of the speed of the film like the one thing that George Miller talks about all the time in a lot of these interviews is the fact that he was i mean the the single biggest influence on him was really silent film and so he's, you know, he talks a lot about his approach to minimizing dialogue. He talks a lot about, you know, the the reason that the original film and probably this film too, but, you know, even the original film had a lot, had a decent amount of dialogue, but he said, you know, the reason it did so well was you can take a lot of the dialogue out and the action still works. And so that translated to any, any culture that was watching it. And so he, he talks a lot about, you know, wanting to minimize the amount of of dialogue and Brian uh, uh, Byron Kennedy had kind of a similar thing where he, you know, he, he, he said that anytime he was watching a movie and uh, people, you know, he'd, he'd watch like classic European films, but people would just start talking endlessly and he'd just like tune out. And so he really wanted to make films that were engaging visually and where something was always happening. And I think that you see that a lot, but uh, the, the other thing and the, the thing that really I think relates to, the the speed of of the action and what's happening is you know you see in a lot of his movies he actually does kind of go for that almost sped up look that you see in a lot of old silent films where he's actually playing with he was even doing that in Fury Road I think he's even said Fury Road there is hardly a single scene in that movie that he he didn't touch he didn't either slow down or speed up sometimes it's imperceptible sometimes oh. it's obvious but so so he's he's he does a lot of that like when a film or when a shot or a scene feels too slow we'll just go in and speed things up to make it feel faster yeah sorry i know that but was kind of a long up, what's nice is the way oh it's interesting no i'm sorry you're all right I, I keep talking about how i, I was just gonna say even sped up okay even sped up you can still tell what's going on and that's what i really right. like is that unlike other action films that are just you know quick cuts quick edits it's like oh somebody punched something happened here 
this you can see every you know in in, in mad max in all the in all the his films all the road warrior films you can see what's going on you know what each shot is going on it's not it's not just oh yeah something something happened <laughs> so which i really like it that's what makes it yeah mm-hmm. well it's also interesting because i don't i didn't copy the exact quote down but uh, i did find there was another interview again in like the 80s where and again this is like a very prescient uh thing to say where he's he was talking about um you know the the action in his films and he was talking about how basically cinema is constantly kind of reinventing itself and the fact that uh you know an older generation may not understand his films because they thought that it you know they were too violent or or too fast but you know he said you, you know in in in, f- in a future generation people might go look at mad max and think that it's it's, it's almost too slow um so that was kind of an interesting and i think that's that's very true to a point uh you know i just re, re- recently rewatched the you know tim burton's 1989 batman film and i was like it's it's mind-boggling how different that is in terms of the action between yeah. that and you know christopher nolan's movies and but i think that there is something to be said for no matter how fast the action is or no matter how much how much is going on like just being able to edit the action the overall action or the overall flow in a way that just makes sense to your brain you know he, he also right. mentioned it oh go ahead but just uh, transformers yes okay always always my go-to example blindingly incomprehensible just a clash of color and and motion i don't know who's winning i don't know who to root for so you become just a passive observer of what were i a child again is like they're going to make a movie that's basically two hours of giant robots smashing through a city of like oh mm-hmm. my favorite movie of all time yeah not so much um yeah you but i guess you know they they make a lot of money so yeah. there must be people who just like to have their senses assaulted without being able to trouble themselves with thinking about who's winning or losing that that takes some thinking i don't, <laughs> I, don't I, I honestly don't understand why they make the, i i still think if they made a, a transformers movie in a sensible way without frenetic editing and crazy pants uh jumping around cgi we'd still love it because you know giant robots smashing each other in the city is a pretty solid concept yeah well, hey, I'll actually, you know, as as terrible as those films are, I actually think that the uh, the Bumblebee movie was actually a pretty fun movie and actually had some comprehensible action scenes. Yeah. So maybe they're coming to their senses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah it was kind of funny because, again, like this this interview I read was like from the 80s. And and even then, George Miller was saying, you know, look at look at these uh, these video game kids are playing and watch kid play, watch a kid play a video game and watch how fast they react. Like their brains are just working so much faster than you know our generation was kind of funny because that was you know back back when people were playing atari games um (laughs) and and he was also again like very insightful because i think that's that's definitely become true in the sense that every generation of video games is you know more photorealistic but then every generation of film is trying to kind of uh compete with that type of action do you you remember defender the video game Defender. yeah like the atari game Alan, chime in here. This is your 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 special. Oh yes, your Defender and Defender Two. Uh, <laughs> they were, when they were arcade games, when they were arcade, you know, and you had to just and, uh, Star the game. button on the button for Defender was on the front left, underneath, 
and you could turn it off and turn it on again and get free games as long as the little Italian man at the ice cream store didn't see you guys do it. Otherwise, he'd throw you out, just to let you know. Wow. Very oh, okay. yeah, what is your question about Defender? <laughs> no, no, I was, I, really, I was just going to point I remember when that game came out and watching someone who was good at it play it was like looking at a superhero because it was just so fast and everything was going around it's like i couldn't how do you keep track and everything but then yeah, defender it was it, it got fast the other thing too as you as you got more and more of the little mutants and you yeah. shot them the screen would just become like a i mean it would almost be like i can't even tell where you're at how do you tell where you're at because you're blowing up so much stuff yeah I, I actually oh, they, 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 I the trick is from you shoot all the people that you're supposed to save, the planet blows up, and then it's much easier. <laughs> now, my point, which I was getting to, was years later, I watched somebody playing one of those Capcom games where characters just sort of jump in and punch each other, yeah. and you have to, like, smash a combination. Okay, yeah. um, that made Defender look like Pong. I mean, it was like uh, uh, the world was... Uh, it, it's true, the speed of some of these games, the hand-eye coordination mm. that is required to even be competent i i whenever i play these games i literally just mash buttons and sometimes things happen it's like oh that well, was that worked when game. you used to have a stick and one button and then it got <laughs> to be like where you got to know all the moves and the combinations of moves hey dude Get i got there. 10 fingers i could press a lot of buttons at once hey quarter turn left b is how you do kick like, what what is a quarter turn <laughs> i mean you know it, it takes a while <laughs> 25 turns stupid <laughs> Uh. I was going to say, I was, I looked on IMD, uh, I looked at the, uh, the uh, rating. So the rating is our, uh, this was back in what, 82, we said, I, mm -hmm. I was just saying, I would suspect today that if, if they made this movie, they would probably, you know, cut one or two shots and go for a PG-13 on this. Mm. I think it'd be PG-13 already. Yeah, I could go with that. Isn't there uh, a rate? Yeah, I think, or, I think it would still be R. Eh. I think this would definitely be R still it was pretty implied, I, I think, I think so. there's just a few shots of what a way of, of getting a pg-13 yeah. and yeah. i think they would probably go for that today anyway um the other thing i was gonna i was gonna bring up is looking at movies like this like I, again i looked up on imdb and i looked at you know what categories does, does this movie fall in action adventure sci-fi i i don't put movies like this in the category of what i would call science fiction i, I would i mean i know you know there used to be you know, you buy a thing of crayons, there'd be eight colors, and now there's like 128. But I mean, really, <laughs> something like this. I mean, sci-fi. Sci if you've only got so many categories, you know, I would put it under sci-fi. But I think, you know, this is really more like, I, I guess, I mean, apocalyptic, which I guess would be a subcategory of sci-fi in my mind. I, I, when I think of science fiction, I think of space and aliens. I think, I think, and the, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I science fiction. I, I, I'm pretty broad with science fiction. I think I think it's because most people uh, qualify any film that takes place in the future as science fiction, mm. regardless of the content or the plot. Oh, you yeah. Well, the thing that the thing that hits me there is that even though this is in the future, it's a it's it's sort of like a this is a future that you could see happening. It's not like in the future. Yeah. There's, there's flying. Well, I don't know, it doesn't have to be impossible. I mean, to me, look. Okay, so I think. Is this a story that could have happened? Yes or no? No? Okay, then it's either fantasy or science fiction. Is right. there magic involved? No, it's science fiction. <laughs> yeah. It's a good flowchart. It's yeah. true, though. Alan you know, there's nothing in this that couldn't have happened. 
Ellen, you didn't, know. didn't you work in a video store at one point? I did. Do, do you rem- you said you did? Yeah, yeah. What do you remember where the Mad Max films were uh were shelved? Um I I, I don't. I think they were okay. probably under action. Okay, I'll tell you exactly where they were without knowing. They were in whatever spot needed more movies. Because yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you if, go. If if the if the cover looked like scary, it was horror, no yeah. matter what it was. You know. So it might have been in the kids section. It might have been in that little back <laughs> that only the grown-ups were allowed to go to. Yeah, for for some reason we did put the kids' movies right next to the um, y- you know those uh, it was like the Sports oh, Illustrated and mm-hmm. and semi softcore porn stuff. It, yeah, the 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 layout was really weird. At least you put it near the softcore porn. It wasn't like you were near the dark. Yeah, speaking of softcore porn, softcore. Ugh. <laughs> That way, dad, dad could keep an eye on the kids while he was picking out his movie. Yeah, do you want to watch Caged Heat or do you want to watch Caged Heat Two? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's it actually funny because I was—I totally forgot this, but I was going to open the show when we went around and introduced ourselves by saying where in our video stores these these movies were. Definitely know that they were in the science fiction section at my local video store, probably for the same reason that. Uh, you know, like you said, that it was it was the smaller section, so they probably needed more stuff. To well, and, but I really think that in our store, the, this would have probably been in um, action adventure because I store I back then I used to watch a lot of science fiction stuff, so I would have probably come across these. And like I said, I'd never oh, seen any yeah. of these. Interesting. I mean, unless unless but, they but hide- yeah, please don't please don't go by the video yeah. corner uh, categorization <laughs> of movies because it was well, it was okay. not. They hired someone like me or, or one of us. Uh, there was, as God is my witness, I found a copy of Oritsuga Doji in the cartoon section. And technically, <laughs> it is a cartoon. Technically. God. I know. I know. I I, I had to, it, there was, I struggled with my conscience because it was just a funny idea that somebody would bring this home. But I thought, nah, nah. So I went and I told them, guy, you really need to put this somewhere else after I rented it. Nah. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm definitely glad that George Miller cut out the idea of uh, Mad Max having a sassy robot sidekick because that'd be a completely yeah. different conversation. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, oh no! Robot dog. A robot. Oh, if they had brought the dog back as if the mechanic had as been like, if, if the mechanic was like, ah, don't worry, I'll, I'll take, I'll, I'll bring him back. And the next scene, <laughs> he's a robot. Hi, my name is it's Rough. 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 <laughs> Alan, were those your your tangents? Um, do you have another one? Yeah, those okay. those were my two. Oh, I did also want to. Um, you had said something. About Bill should write a book on filmmaking. We actually did write a book on filmmaking, and it it sold like a thousand copies because we we didn't charge anything for it. It was only like twenty pages. And um, nice. I, 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 whatever sold. site whatever site it was it was being you know quote unquote sold on is 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 gone. But if anybody listening would like a copy, just email me. I'd be glad yeah. to. I'd be Every, glad for you to I've be got a one thousandth and one and first customer. Wow! I want a copy. You could, you know, you could go to a film school. No, we're selling. I, I can hardly keep up the production. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can give you a bootleg copy. I've got. Yeah. Damn! That's why we didn't make any yeah, profit. I'll upload one to a torrent site. Yeah, I was just Good. gonna say, put yeah. it on the pirate bay for yep. me. Oh shit! Um, uh, so, so getting, we're gonna bring getting... out for the break. What's that? We're going to bring the whole film industry back from the brink. Yep. <laughs> You're going to rescue them. 
Um, yeah. coming, bring, uh, coming way back to what we were talking about like 20 minutes ago, <laughs> the cinematography in this film, I think, has a lot to do with its kind of iconography. Uh, all of these shots of Max against that that kind of blank horizon. Uh, I, I think I think it's actually interesting because obviously mm-hmm. George Miller is a very visual director. And like I said, I was actually reading the shooting script and I thought it was kind of interesting because I think one of the images, anytime you look up the film, you see the shots of him in the car, you know, behind the the wheel, but then you, you see like the, the, the supercharger in the foreground I think that might even be used on some of the DVDs. Like this is actually from the script. One like the th- like when they actually introduce him, it says "Wasteland Highway Day." The black hole of the supercharger dominates the frame, and I think that that's like that's kind of interesting. That like he, you know, very often you don't see that sort of specific imagery in in scripts, but George Miller knew exactly what he wanted, and that that's basically translated like exactly to to the screen have any specific stuff to talk about the 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 cinematography other than i think it looks amazing i think it's like it's one of those movies you know you watch a lot of movies from the 80s even even good movies sometimes you watch them and it for some reason they just feel outdated but this the the visuals are just kind of like like bill uh bill said it's just kind of timeless and i think a lot of it has to do with with the visuals and it's you know obviously he went on to win an academy award he went on to shoot dances yeah the- stuff so very talented uh, cinematographer yeah there's one particular not so much shot but series of shots that that stand out to me in that um it's when uh the gyro captain and max are on sort of that bluff overlooking Mm -hmm. the plane where the uh Mm. where where the refinery is and not only is it visually striking it gives you uh it gives you a layout of the geography which a lot yeah. of times in action films, that's yeah. you kind of get lost too, because like, well, who's coming from this? You, you, you know what direction Humongous and his group are coming from. When the people run out, when you see the the early on, when you see the 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 people trying to leave and they get run down, you see what direction they go. You see how, so you get this feeling of it's a real place, and you can get in your head. Okay, when they do leave, okay, yeah, they're leaving that way and they're heading this way, and you, it sets that for you. So not only is it visually striking, it gives you that. It, it gives you that anchor, which which I really yeah. liked. I thought that was just really kind of neat. No, that, that's, to do it in that's a, a, in a really in a, good in point. A visual way too, you know. That's a really good point, and that's always been one of my favorite shots in war battle movies, where you have you know a couple of people up on a bluff somewhere, and they're able to see what the people in the battle can't see. You know, when you're in a battle, not that I've been in one. You're only seeing your little piece of it. You have no idea who's winning or losing or what's about to happen to you. But then, you know, the contrast of here's just two people and they're watching this battle, this great battle down. And and, and Mm. it all seems so small and everything. That's the big thing that's going on. But we're focused on just this little tiny part of it. Just these two people watching this. Yeah, that's that's a cool shot. It's a great shot in any film, but really well done here. And you're yeah. right. Otherwise, it'd be kind of hard to figure out what's what. What are we trying to do here? What's the goal? I, yeah. So so the only other things I had to call out, and we don't really need to talk about this too much, but I did want to call out, um, you know, the the art direction and the costume design. I think there's a lot of very iconic, uh, especially when it comes to the costumes. Like you said, I think Paul said, uh, you know, the the Wes costume was copied about a billion times in various Italian films in the 80s that were trying to rip this movie off and they basically just took that, <laughs> that kind of archetype. 
Um, it's kind of interesting because so the the costume designer uh, Norma Morikow also worked on Beyond Thunderdome, and you de- you actually see that like when you when the scene where they're in Barter Town, you see a lot of people dressed similarly. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And then the, also Graham Walker, who did the art direction, also worked on Thunderdome. Um, he also w- went on to work on Dead Calm and Pitch Black. And then uh, apparently he did a couple seasons of The Walking mm-hmm. Dead as the production designer, yeah. which I thought was kind of interesting. It's very different. Yeah. Very different. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. There was a few scenes in this that kind of reminded me of The Walking Dead. The, you know, they used the bus as the door. Oh, kind yeah. Of, oh, and yeah, then, yeah. 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 No, yeah, and then there was the helicopter scene, right, where Max's like head is hanging out. Like, which first yeah. of all, who does that? But second of all, I'm pretty sure they used that recently in The Walking Dead when they oh, were really? like saving Rick from something. Hmm. Yeah, had him at a helicopter with his head hanging out, almost like an identical scene. I have to find it. Huh? No, I I stopped watching a while ago, but uh, so yeah, I me too. That. Yeah, <laughs> I think everyone. Uh, I'm I'm in it to the bitter end. <laughs> oh God wow. bless you. Okay. Wow. Well, you can give Somebody us a, has to. Can give us a recap. Rescuing Rick from something. Yeah, you're you're way back. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah. No, I'm way back. Way back. I stopped watching before they rescued him. I just saw the clip somewhere. <laughs> before we get into our final rankings, the only other thing I have to really talk about is the uh, kind of uh, franchise and influences of this movie. Oh God. Um, yeah. The 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 influence. Uh, there are so many. Cra- the Italians. The Italian. God love them. <laughs> When at, during the '80s, whenever a movie would be a hit, like yes. okay, Dawn of the Dead, okay, millions of Italian cannibal zombie movies, some of which were actually really, really good, and some of which were absolute garbage. Um, but zombie movies, as we can say from personal experience, any idiot with a camera can make a zombie movie. Uh, it's not so easy to make a road warrior kind of movie, but when this thing hit, next thing you knew it was. Bronx Warriors 1999, because 1999 seemed like a million miles away. (laughs) Just all these Road Warrior ripoffs came up. And and the one thing that they were able to do is convince you beyond any reasonable doubt that George Miller's a genius. Yes. Yes. And... But that's the impressive thing, right? Because, like, they, you know, he had had a much bigger budget on this. He had a $4 million budget. But it's still not in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, a ton of money. And the fact that he was able to do, and like we said, you know, the, the plot of this film is so simple and you, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost one of those movies that you look at and say, Hey, I could make that. Cause it's so, so simple. And then obviously, yeah, dozens and dozens of, of, of ripoffs and they're all just so bad. They got the Mohawks and that's about it. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, by the way, I actually noticed recently, uh, uh, I guess they, some, somehow they did a dump of, a bunch of these ripoffs on Amazon Prime because I was recently going through and it, there must be like a dozen of them on there. So at some point we can mm-hmm. do a uh, a Road Warrior ripoff uh, episode. Um, <laughs> each if, each one of us, I mean, God, you don't want to watch more than one. So each one of us oh, should be yeah. assigned just one, <laughs> and then good. we can come back and see who suffered the most. <laughs> that's good. I like that idea. <laughs> oh, that is good. All right. Um, but yeah, and obviously <laughs> we've talked about this endlessly. I don't think we, I think we're, you know, there there were two sequels that we'll get into later. Um, and uh, yeah, he just recently, uh, as of recording this, I think just a couple weeks ago, Warner Brothers officially announced the, uh, I guess the release date of this Furiosa prequel. So, um, which mm-hmm. I, I, I am super excited, but like I, uh, uh, I remember waiting probably a good decade for Fury Road um because we'll get into that but when we talk about that that movie took so long to make and it was just like 
an endless stream of of new uh you know movie news uh on and on again and off again so i will uh i will believe that there's another mad max film when i am sitting in the theater watching it so yeah and can, can <laughs> i just say one thing of all there are endless amounts of bad road warrior ripoffs but there's one film that i feel is like kind of a love letter from a from a real filmmaker that i think you might appreciate the water world neil marshall's doomsday oh yeah <laughs> doomsday yeah that's yeah water world <laughs> shut your mouth wash your mouth out with water uh no dad that's that's a good uh yeah that, that's a that is an interesting no, installment dad. what I thought you said no, Dad. <laughs> no, Dad. No, I won't. No, Dad. You're, you got just turned dad. sixty. Can't tell you what to do. <laughs> hey. uh, no, that's that's actually a good call out. Yeah, it's not it's not really the the apocalyptic wasteland type yeah. thing, but uh, but yeah, no, it's it's pro- uh, arguably uh, the closest thing to uh, a good homage that we ever got, other than yeah, I, I, I mean, when when the competition is hell comes to Frog Town. <laughs> There's also, a, you know, I, I vaguely remember this, but I'm pretty sure it was uh, was a Road Warrior ripoff. But wasn't there a wasn't Patrick Swayze in one? I think it was called Steel Dawn. Holy so, crap! What a piece of garbage! Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. That's good. I'm I'm definitely. Oh gonna... jeez, <laughs> Oh, I've forgotten all about that. That was like that was like Roadhouse crossed with Road Warrior. Road Warrior House. What could go it was wrong? Awful. When we oh, when everything we used to watch for that episode, I get I get to pick that one because at least I can watch Patrick Swayze. No, uh, oh, whatever floats your boat, dude. Yeah. Uh, he was so good in Point Break, but that's for the next. That's for the next. That's for the episode of Beastie Bodies. Bodies. Bodies that you're talking that you're talking about are they like are they billed as ripoffs or you're just watching them and you and you realize oh wow this is just a ripoff. No, that's a good no they just they just Definitely. they just uh, they ripped off the poster and uh, everybody wears mohawks and made up. <laughs> And then they have a car with cardboard on it, spray painted to look like it. It's just, they're terrible. They're so terrible. Yeah, heavily uh, influenced. Like, uh, like, like Bill was saying, I mean, most of these movies came out of Italy. And it was really like, I mean, I would argue that the four most blatantly ripped off films in maybe the history of cinema, at least modern history, were Star Wars, Alien, what was the other one? He's uh, Dawn of the Dead and yeah. Road Warrior. I mean, I really think it's... it's uh... I will give the Italians some credit on one thing. Uh, sometimes they would mash up things like, ah, there's been too many ripoffs of the Road Warrior. So how about if we make, and this is an actual film, 2019, After the Fall of New York. Yes, yes. it's the Escape yeah. from New York, Road <laughs> yeah. Warriors ripoff, <laughs> where they imagine that 2019, everything was going to go to hell. They came close. They came damn close. <laughs> they were a year off. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, it, the other thing is like, so, you know, when they ripped off, when they ripped off zombie films, we ended up with zombie, arguably one of the greatest zombie films. How could they could have not ripped off Mad Max and get something like, you know, zombie level? We got, you know. we got Waterworld. Okay. <laughs> we'll go to my deathbed saying. That wasn't the Italians though. No, it wasn't the Italians. That's true. Yeah, no, and I remember, you know, being a naive young kid and watching The Road Warrior and, you know, you when you watch something like that and then you are, you know, you want to find things that are similar. And obviously I didn't, you know, you couldn't really just go and look up this stuff on the Internet. So I remember just renting some of these movies at the video store and just be like, oh, this looks like The Road Warrior. It must be just as good. And just being like horribly disappointed, like... (laughs) time after time after time 
Um, you never learned. Yep, and that's why I grew up hating the Italians. So, <laughs> oh wow, hey, hey. I kid, I kid. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I forgot. Hey, hey, you know, you know who else was in Steel Dawn? Uh, Brian James is also in Steel Dawn. So, Ooh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, um, not at all. Anyways, uh, I think we have gone off on enough tangents, and I think we've covered enough uh, actual ground here to probably get into our final rankings and any final rants we have about the Road Warrior. I think I actually know who I want to go last because of their previous ranking of uh, uh, yes, of Mad yeah. Max. So, what does anyone other than Alan want to volunteer to go first and give us? I your... went last then too. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're going last again well, because, because you're entertaining. Yeah, we, you're our most uh, uh, our most anticipated <laughs> ranking. I'll jump I'll in. Go first. So are we ranking this among the? Yeah, are well, we jumping ranking this among the Mad Max rate films? It, rate it. Know? Give it. Give it the old the old. Uh, how many VHS tapes out of five you would give it? And if you want to rank it amongst the other ones, you can do that as well. Um, I'd give it a, a four and a half. It's borderline five uh vhs tapes um maybe four and a half four and three quarters you know um uh, you know just just because i'm hesitant to give five to anything i guess um but it's 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 damn near perfect um and in terms of the rankings before before fury road came out i would have put this straight at the top um of the three certainly it's it's certainly the empire strikes back of the the trio because the third one certainly goes uh um return of the jedi on us but uh the um but with fear with fury road i think they're they're tied at the top so ah screw it we'll give it a full five five vhs tapes it's it's pretty amazing it holds up when i watched it with with my my sons a few years ago before fury road came out just they were you know pretty much stunned and awed by the end of it and uh so that tells me if it can stun and awe the youth of today then it it still holds up so there you go nice perfect score uh bill do you want to go next okay um so quickly five out of five it's my favorite of the road warrior movies although if you ask me right now hey you gotta go go watch one right now it'd be fury road it'll probably be fury road frequently um but more importantly, doing this podcast has given me an idea. I want to do a mini series, um, maybe a YouTube series, set in the belly of the Sarlacc, where we follow the adventures <laughs> of a bunch, a, a wacky cast of characters who are being slowly digested over thousands of years. Some of them oh have God. been there around for a while, and they're Ugh. pretty well digested. Some of the others are kind of new, and they want to get out before they end up like these guys. <laughs> and every week, they come up with a new scheme of getting out that somehow falls apart at the end but they learn a valuable lesson the digestive juices are what keeps them alive too oh. yes that's yes, why they can be alive for a thousand years and uh. and oh so 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 here's here one of the characters would be like this schemer who realizes that if he can get out of the sarlacc with some of the juices he can sell this to oh rich people as an immortality thing he's got he's got like a million dollar idea he's he's been scraping by his whole life he's just like a junker or something now he's got this million dollar idea but he's got to get out of the sarlacc before this million dollar idea digests him uh, it writes itself yeah <laughs> And then it like and then the big cliffhanger at the end of season one, just as they're about to get loose, Boba Fett gets tossed in there, breaks their rope or whatever it was they were gonna use to get out. And now everyone's like, holy shit, se- season two is gonna be awesome. Oh, but you know what? 
The thing mm-hmm. is, when Boba Fett falls and he breaks his neck and dies, the guy steals his armor. And Ooh. what everybody thinks is Boba mm-hmm. Fett is really this 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 douchebag who's not really, yeah. you know, has no skills at all. His name is Bob. Bob you know what? Fett. Yeah. That's that's now that's now that's now my head cannon. So oh even though I'm not watching any of the, the new Star Wars stuff. When someone says, yeah, Boba Fett's back, I just will snicker and go, <laughs> nope. <laughs> Someone send us money. Well, I really <laughs> hope, that jo- uh, uh, Bill, I hope that uh, John Favre doesn't hear this podcast because he will probably be threatened and try to have you killed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's the risk an artist takes. <laughs> uh, uh, Renee, do you want to give your, your rating of this film and then pitch us the new Star Wars series? I can't. Uh, yeah, I can't really follow that up with anything because um, that's amazing. And um, whenever Thank you. for that, I'll be available. Um, okay. <laughs> guest yeah. guest star this week, Renee. Yeah, yeah. Um, I you know I hate to jump on the bandwagon, but I have to be one of those five out of five people. I really enjoyed it, and I kind of think of it as I mean I'm no I'm no Alan Watkins, I'm no Bill Mulligan. But... <laughs> oh wow! No, you're not. No, exactly. Aiming high. <laughs> but, you know, I think to myself, is there anything that I would change? Like, is there anything that I was like, oh, I hated that part? No, it was mm. all, it was good. It was all good. I really enjoyed it. And I've watched it multiple times since then. And I really enjoyed it. I would, I, five out of five. Nice. Yeah. Well, I actually did not expect to be the lowballing this one uh oh, so i'm i'm gonna give this one so i gave mad max four uh i am going to give this a 4.5 and let me okay. let me explain though um mm-hmm. because it yeah like uh like paul said it's a very rare that i give any film a five there are probably a dozen films i've ever watched that i actually call a five uh. You're the, the only- French judge, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, no. So, so the only reason, and you know, no spoilers here, but uh, the only reason I think I would have to call this a four out of five is because, uh, to me, this is second only to Fury Road. So I need, mm. I need an, an additional uh, rung on the ladder yeah. to climb up to gotcha. for that one. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, so I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say four out of five. Yeah, it's, it's. There is really nothing I would change about this movie. I, I think it's. I don't know. It's 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 well, very did close. Did you say to four or four point five? Four four point five out of five. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say four and a half just because I got to save that extra half for uh, for Fury Road when we get there. Hmm. What happens after I watch Fury Road? What am I gonna do? Readjust all my scores? Yeah, <laughs> we will we will talk about that when we when we get to that that episode. I guess yeah, that'll be yeah. interesting for those of us who haven't seen all of them. Then so you I go watch you uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown, and every movie becomes <laughs> an instant five. Yeah. <laughs> you watch Steel Dawn, and uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you did you rank this one out of the uh, all of them? Uh, no, no, I didn't. I think I'm actually going to wait until we get to the the. I mean, it's going to be pretty obvious. Uh, you could probably already guess, but yeah, I'll probably wait till we actually cover the other two to to go down the full list. So, without further ado, Alan, what you gave Mad Max like a one? I think is that correct? I think I gave it a one and a half. A one and wow. a half. Okay, so yeah. so we've we've all been we, we've gotten a lot of a lot of messages from our fans about this uh, a lot of angry letters and tweets actually we haven't because we haven't released any episodes as of this recording but um i'm sure we will so so without further ado what do you think about the road warrior <clears throat> okay well okay so i like this movie a lot better than the first one 
Um, I've only seen the first two, so let me give you my ranking so far. Out of the first two, I rank this one first and the first one second. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and I'll, wow. I'll, I'll save everything else for later. Now, if, if <clears throat> which I didn't, if I would have given the first one a four, I would have had to have given this one a five because I think this was a lot better than the first one. I do. Um, but I would give this one uh, four VHS tapes out of five. Um, and I, I got to say, for for something that's considered apocalyptic or science fiction, even for me to give it a four, I would say is a is a really high score because I don't see a lot of uh, science fiction and, and post-apocalyptic stuff that that I would I would rank that high. But yeah, I mean, so you know, if 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 we get you know death threats from me giving this a four, I'd, I'd hate that. But yeah, I'd, I'd give it a four. <laughs> No, I think I think a four is a four is fine. That's definitely an improvement over the mm-hmm. last one. Uh, that also means that we have an average here of four point seven for this one, which is uh, I think pretty wow. respectable. Yeah, I think I think mm. the last one we had an average of like three and a half or something because of Alan. Um, but yeah, so so four four point seven four four fully rewound and one that someone got uh, about uh, two thirds of the way through and then stopped watching. Um, but yeah, so I think that's respectable. I feel like there's a lot of sentences that end with "because of Alan." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is kind of a catch-all uh, excuse. Um, but yeah, uh, I think uh, I, I think we've I think we've kind of covered everything there is to talk about for the Road Warrior. So, uh, and I think we're definitely going to cover the other two films in the future. But uh, I think we've I think the next episode we spent a lot of time in the desert wastelands. And I think it's a time for a, for a little change of scenery. So I think uh, I think we're gonna head to the the woods for our next episode. And in fact, I think that my uncle owns a cabin in the woods that we can stay <laughs> at. Ooh. I really Go. So wait, yeah. so what movie we're gonna do that? Yeah, oh, I haven't decided. Waterworld. Waterworld. <laughs> <laughs> what? You didn't pick up his subtle clues? Do it. Yeah. The Warriors. Uh, yes. Um, Can you dig it? No. Uh, okay. We we are gonna switch things up and uh, we're gonna talk about something different. So yeah, uh, join us in. Uh, hopefully, uh, I'm gonna edit this part if I'm lying. If I can't actually release these in the in the right time frame, but uh, join us again in two weeks for Cabin in the Woods. And until Yay. then, we don't really have any fun catchphrase. So I guess we'll just no, say we bye. No, we don't. Uh, yeah. Make sure you rewind your... Uh, yeah, be kind, rewind. Be kind, rewind. Bibbity bobbity boo. Flippity <laughs> <laughs> flappity <laughs> flu. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye. bye. Well, uh, that was a pretty exhaustive conversation about The Road Warrior. And I think the only question that remains is, what do you think about this film? Visit www videostorejunkies.com and leave us your thoughts or visit us on twitter at videojunkiespod that's videojunkiespod we'd love to hear your thoughts on the film and the episode which if you enjoyed we'd love for you to leave your own 5 VHS tape review of on your favorite podcast platform thanks for listening and good night well if anyone's gonna get in there it's gonna be you this is Mad Max 2 
time since I seen driving like that man. The warrior of the road. You're okay by me, pal. Got to hand it to you, Trish. The last of the V8 interceptors. Every day we get weaker while they get stronger. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Now, to do the job, I need some high-octane gasoline. Got yourself a deal. You can run, but you can't hide! You're gonna crash, or crash through? I was wrong about you. I'm sorry. When it's every man for himself. left to run.